Blog Talk Radio.
the world just looks horrendous right now. And uh, I feel real bad for all the fans that are coming down. And with the bad weather, it's predicted for Sunday and Monday. Uh, I just feel real bad for all the fans that are going to be hoping for a race that uh, may not get the, that wish. Well, here's the thing, Matthew. It is the Indianapolis 500, and God loves IndyCar. And so to give you an example, everybody thought, well, the parade today was going to be a wash. Here it is, sunny and 71 degrees in Indianapolis. Uh, Everybody thought Carb Day might be a wash. Uh, It was rainy. Uh, but then it uh, it cleared away. We had an awesome carb day. Everybody thought that media day was going to suck. Well, it kind of did because it was fun to, to hang out with the Today Show and, and uh, be behind stage there with Cheryl Crow and all that. That was a lot of fun. But there was the rain. But then the rain cleared up. They got the concert in. We had an awesome media day. So here's what I'm going to say. God loves IndyCar. Uh, fans love IndyCar. I'm staying positive about it. Guys, this is our, our field of 33, and we do this every year. I appreciate you joining us. We've got a great uh, lineup today. we got you guys, of course, as joining us, I hope, for the entire show. Uh, but then we also have Don Bartlett from uh, TrackSmack Talk It's going to be joining us as well. We've got Kent Sterling. We've got Tony Donahue from 1070 The Fan. All breaking down the, the, the cars of, of 33. So let's start here. We'll start with you, uh, Tyson, then we'll go to you, to Matthew, and then we'll kind of go through all of these cars. We'll start with the three people that we know that got bumped, and that was uh, rookie Patricia Award, uh, and then, of course, Max Chilton, and the most well-known person to get bumped. And second year in a row, we saw a really well-known name get bumped from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. A lot of people don't like bump day, say it's not fair. Well, hey, and here's the thing. Fernando Alonso uh, said they were uh, – there, there was the, the option on the table for them to buy his way in. First of all, his team wasn't prepared for qualification, and that's just what is what happened. So, Tyson, let's uh, talk about these guys that got bumped. Matthew, we'll get your thoughts on it, and then we'll get into all 33 cars, every driver that has made it into – the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about the, the three guys that missed the field award, uh, Max Shelton and then Fernando Alonso, is there's commonalities between all of them. All of them were Carlin Racing prepared cars. Uh, all of them do have a teammate uh, in the in the Indy 500, Charlie Kimball, who uh, we'll get to later. Um, but Alonso, you know, I think a lot of people are like, wow, it, you know, big surprise that Alonso didn't make it. To be honest, I'm not all that surprised. And, and the reason I say that is because you look at the, the race uh, that he ran in 2017, and he ran a great race. He also had a Andretti Autosport, Andretti Autosport prepared car, uh, a car that was prepared months in advance that was set up for that race by a team with a lot of experience in this race. I think he he had it a little bit easier than than this year for sure, driving for uh, McLaren, which they, they the last few years, you know, in motorsports haven't had a, a very good reputation, uh, and that really showed this month. They they struggled out of the gate, even uh, in in the test days. They just didn't show a lot of speed. Alonso uh, crashed his car basically right off the bat on day one. And it was already looking pretty rough for them. 
And a couple that with the fact that Carlin just didn't have a lot of speed. Patricio or O'Rourke uh, crashed his car as well, was using a uh, road course backup, which wasn't uh, prepared for the race. This uh, obviously very disappointing to not see Alonso in the field, but I think, you know, you talk about they had the option to buy out someone in the field, and I, I didn't think that was going to happen to begin with, and I think that's because we have really passed that era of buying another car out of the field. I think making the Indy 500 just is too, there, there's too much prestige to it now that you're not going to see this anymore. The last um, buyout I remember was Bruno Jancara in, I think it was 2011 when Ryan Hunter Ray bought his ride out. Uh, but we're not, I don't think we're going to see that anymore. Sponsors know this means too much. They're not going to give up their spot in the field. Drivers don't want to give up their spot in the field. And I think we saw it last year with Hinchcliffe, you know, Schmidt Peterson said, you know, they could have bought someone out, but Hinch said, no, I didn't make the race. We're not going to, we're not going to buy someone out. Alonso saying the same thing. His team could have bought, uh, the rumors were saying Oriel Serbia's uh, seat could have been up for sale. Alonso said, no, I didn't make the race. We're not going to race. I think with Alonso and James Hinchcliffe uh, not buying seats out the last two years, we are past that era. I don't think we're going to see that at all anymore. You know, that's a valid point. And certainly we, I talked to a couple of people there at, at the media center uh, this week about uh, Matthew, let's get your thoughts about the bump cards. And I know you and I have talked about McLaren many, many times that, and, you know, I think uh, Fernando will be back at Indianapolis, but not with McLaren. And, and to be quite honest with you, I think McLaren was a, a very disappointment this year in the month of May. A big buildup of what we thought was going to happen with them. I think it was just a, a bunch of fool's gold. I, I, I really have no faith in McLaren at all. What are your thoughts about the three that got bumped and uh, how McLaren treated Fernando Alonso? I mean, if you're lucky enough to get a driver like Fernando Alonso and can't get a car, you can't even get a qualified you can't even get the levels right there were so many uh things that went wrong with mclaren and fernando that was way beyond just uh, oh i just can't make the race he couldn't make the race because mclaren couldn't give him a car uh, so what are your thoughts matthew well, i think mclaren and alonzo are culpable i mean they're the ones that badmouth honda to the point that honda didn't want anything to do with them so they had to go the Chevrolet route. Well, if you go the Chevrolet route, then, well, there's not many options available. Uh, Team Penske certainly doesn't want to take away from there. Four, uh, Ed Carpenter Racing does not want to see uh, a McLaren car beat their own cars. They support them. So that left them with Carlin. And Carlin, uh, we talked about this, uh, Ty, last year with Rahal Letterman Lanigan about overextending themselves. And I think you had that with Carlin trying to run four cars in just their second year. Uh, they were certainly not ready for this, and I think it showed. But uh, I think if you have not seen, and folks, if you have not seen the Jennifer uh, article, which was absolutely outstanding on this, I mean, why are you not running a car just because the paint color is not perfect? That is the most absurd, preposterous thing I have ever heard in my life. And if that's the real reason they did not get back on the track after on Wednesday, they have no one to blame but themselves. I mean, that, that is called being extremely overconfident, extremely overcocky. And let's face it. That is not what you want to be coming into this month. You have to have focus. You cannot assume 
that you are going to just whop up on the rest of the competition because less than three miles an hour separated this field. You cannot afford to be confident or cocky in that situation. You have to, you know, eat your spinach and get your job done. And Team McLaren, at no point, at any point in this month, and I'm sure our other colleagues are going to agree with me on this, and Ty will as well, they were never in that position to be successful. And I will say it's not just McLaren that is to blame. I think because of the bad battle, I think a lot to do with Honda, he has some of the blame as well. And then you look at Shilton and O'Ward, um, I think the bigger shock to me right now uh, has to be uh, Chilton. I mean, remember two years ago, Tom, we were talking about Max Chilton almost winning this race. Yep. Um, and he doesn't get in the field, and he was never close to doing it. And then the same thing goes with Award. I mean, this is a guy that's being touted for Formula One. I mean, I don't think the Red Bull Junior team would uh, sign him if they didn't think he had a shot to possibly get there. So I think that was a distraction. And then he had the crash as well um, earlier this week, and I don't think they bounced back from that. I think there was a little bit of skittishness on Pato Awards' part. So I think that led to that. So the thing is, I think these are perfect examples for teams that come back in the future here at Indy. You have one focus, and that is the 500. You don't focus in on other things like, you know, oh, what, how we look, uh, how does my hair look, all that stuff, or I'm thinking stuff future F1. No, you are thinking about Indy and Indy itself, and if you do not have that focus, I think this clearly shows what could happen. No, you're absolutely right. And, guys, I wish we had a, had a lot more time to talk about that because we could, we could, we could uh, talk about this uh, all day long. But we've got to get it into the, the field of 33. And uh, Tyson, uh, as we just talked about, Kyle Kaiser bumped out Fernando Alonso. We had James Hinchcliffe had another rough year. Oh, my God, we were on, the, we were on pins and needles with him. Uh, and then, uh, uh, of course, what a great qualifying uh, round in the coming 31st with Sage Karam. Had an opportunity to talk with him. And he's just ecstatic to be in the race. And he's having so much fun. I, I loved watching him on the pit stop uh, challenge yesterday. He's just having fun. And I think that's really what is uh, – a lot of things that is so important. And, uh, you know, Hinchcliffe, I talked with him on, on media day and he's just like, he's like, I just felt like we were going to do it. I knew we could do it. And, and we saw him get bumped last year and everybody knows that I'm a big fan of Hinchcliffe and, and I'm a personal friend of his. So it's good to talk with him and good to, to talk with him on media day as well. But uh, row 11, we got number in 33rd, Kyle Kaiser, 32nd, James Hinchcliffe, and 31st, Sage Karam. What say you, Tyson? Well, I mean, first I got to start with, uh, so last weekend I was at, at my workplace, and on Saturday I'm following along as best I can, uh, watching uh, qualifying on my computer, and mostly on Twitter, and I'm watching, and I see James Hinchcliffe has crashed and this yes, team is yes. going to be in trouble to to qualify. And I'm like, I, I'm thinking some words in my head that I cannot say here. And I'm like, <laughs> man, is this really going to happen again? Is Hinchcliffe going to miss the 500 for the second year in a row? Because if if this happens, what does what does that mean for this team? You know, does Hinchcliffe really fall down the stock in Schmidt Peterson Mars work? I don't know about that. I mean, I think he's pretty pretty set in a good spot right now, but 
I mean, Arrow has invested a lot of money in this team, you know, taking some of the naming rights in this team and, and sponsoring the other car, uh, Marcus Erickson. So how bad mm-hmm. of a look is that for Arrow if their lead driver misses the Indy 500 for the second year in a row? Uh, good on, on Hinchcliffe and, and that team for not only making the race on Sunday, but, you know, crashing on Saturday in qualifying and still managing to get that car on track just a couple hours later. It wasn't fast enough to get them in the field on Saturday, but they were able to, uh, that was, that was one of the quickest turnarounds I think I've, I've ever heard of. So kudos to them. Kyle Kaiser, really amazing story there to bump out Fernando Alonso and, and this team, they really they showed so much speed at the beginning of the weekend, and I thought, you know, they're, they're going to have no issues making the 500. And then they got in that crash, which I think is the last thing anyone wanted to see. They, they were struggling with sponsorship, had basically no money to their name at the beginning of the month, uh, and then wind up making the Indy 500, bumping the biggest name, one of the biggest names in motorsports. Uh, really an incredible story for them. And Sage Karam, this is a guy that really struggled, which we've never seen him struggle at Indy uh, quite like this before. But now he's in the field. If, that, if, if they've got their speed um, back to where they'd like it to be, I think Dreyer and Reinbold can probably contend for a pretty decent finish uh, on Sunday. Uh, Matthew, you know, and, and also we'll make a, a quick point there about uh, Hinchcliffe's uh, teammate, Marcus Erickson, uh, the, the rookie. I mean, he was competing with the big boys yesterday in the pit stop challenge. I know it's all about the, the pit crew, uh, but if that's what we got on Sunday, I mean, he's got a, he's got a good pit crew behind him. He obviously, they, they yeah, came back. I mean, they won the, the pit stop challenge. So he was certainly able to compete with the big boys. We give him credit, although it was, it was the pit crew. Uh, obviously many of them have been in it for a good number of years, but yeah, certainly hats off to uh, Schmidt Peterson uh, who were able to win uh, the pit stop challenge on carb day. And I tell you what, carb day is awesome. I had a blast. That's like the one day where you could just go and just kind of be a fan and have fun and, you know, uh, hanging out with my radio buddies from town. It was just so much fun uh, on uh at carb day so so that's one of those days you could just go and just relax it you know that's one of the traditions of indianapolis uh is is just how off i mean the many many traditions that we have you know i was talking to somebody yesterday i'm working on a story for speedway digest but uh, uh just about the fans and the history of how it generations after generations after generations continue to come to the track and i was talking to a guy who i who I see year after year after year. He sits right on, on the bottom row by by uh, uh, a victory lane there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He's always got a, a little cooler, a little snack pack, and I see him every year. And we, we usually chat. And, and so I, I just asked him yesterday, I said, just out of curiosity, because I've been coming here for many years, and every year I see you here. I mean, I've been here as part of a media for a long time. And and I, 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 we we talk, but I, I've never really had a chance to, to ask your story. He's been coming every year since 1954, sat in the same seat, and only missed one year, um, and that was because he was in the service. So the Indianapolis 500 is so special in so many ways. And I got off on a tangent there. I got off in the weeds. I apologize. Uh, but Carb Day was just so so awesome. But part of the Carb Day party is the Pit Stop Challenge, and it was 
awesome to see Mar- Marcus Erickson do that. Matthew, you're up. I'm sorry I got off on the weeds. Uh, I got steered in the wrong direction. Uh, squirrel, but go ahead, Matthew. Roll 11. What are your thoughts? Well, it was a great story to get in the field. I thought actually the team was probably going to maybe even have to get abandon their entry because of the lack of money, but uh, good to see them get in, uh, especially picking up two miles an hour the way they did between in a 24-hour period just to make the field. After I thought the 227s came up when they came out, I thought for sure Alonso was not going to get bumped, and then all of a sudden Kaiser found the speed, so kudos to them. Now the question is, can they get to the finish? So that's something they couldn't do last year. Hinchcliffe, I don't think, is in as good a position as Rossi was when he started 32nd last year. I just don't think he's willing to make the aggressive moves necessary to get himself back into contention. Uh, they may have to go off strategy, you know, on a pit stop sequence or something to get themselves in play. And then uh, Sage Karam, uh, Ty, what do we say about uh, Sage Karam every year? Can he finish? Four years in a row, he's been in contention, and four years in a row, he's failed to finish, either by crash or by mechanical failure. Um, until I see a result, I'm not ready to get on the Sage Karam bandwagon just yet. I mean, yeah, I can run the top ten every single year. That's great, but if you can't make the finish, uh, is it worth it, Tom? Yeah, no, that's a very valid point. We do talk about that every year, so I, I, I wish him the best of luck. Uh, Tyson, we're going to roll into row ten, uh, uh, Pippa Man and, and – uh, her um, uh, uh, organ donation car. I cannot remember the, the. I'm so sorry. I can't remember the. The. Uh, what, she's bringing awareness to. Yes, that's right. But the story behind that is with Brian Clausen. Brian Clausen's dad, obviously, is the owner of the team. Teamed up with Pippa Man. Pippa Man got into the Indianapolis 500. Matthew, you were right there with me when we saw that happen. She was like. Uh, the most emotional I've ever seen anybody when they make the Indianapolis. She didn't even have to worry about bum day. Pippa Man has had her ups and downs. This is a one car. This is a one race car. I talked with her on media day and I kept asking her, so did you think you could do well against the sponsors? She goes, this is a one race car. So she has kept over overstating that, but she did go into great detail about, you know, how important it is. And so maybe we'll just take a moment here to, to talk about how important it is that if you're not an organ donor, it's real simple. Just when you renew your license or whatever you do at the license branch, just have them check that box. So you could go online and do it. And Brian Clausen, as we remember, uh, died in a tragic accident, was an organ donor. His parents didn't even know it at the time. Um, and it, they found out later. So uh, his dad has, has developed this foundation in Brian Clausen's honor to help uh, – bring awareness to uh, organ donations. So Peppa Man, again, on media day, she overemphasized it many times to me. This is a one race car. So I hope they do well, <laughs> but that mm-hmm. said, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a hot take. If they do well and they do get some sponsorships, I don't think they're going to turn it down. I'm just saying, I know she has to say what she has to say. And then here, then we had the the pole sitter of the GP, Felix Rolkenfest, Ro- Ro- and there I go with my names again. So we'll just call him Felix. Um, I talked with him on media day, and just you know, obviously he's he's got that Chip Canassi umbrella over him. He's got Scott Dixon as a mentor, uh, uh, Dario Franchitti as a mentor. So one of the things he told me, he's like. You know, what I've learned the most is just being around these people, just just, just kind of being around them. 
And uh, so uh, didn't have the finish that he wanted in the GP. A lot of times we do see the pole setter GP. This seems to be, and we'll get into this later, but this seems to be a month of May of, of a game of Simon Says. Simon Padijan wins the pole. Simon Padijan uh, wins the GP. Uh, but so uh, Felix uh, certainly is, is happy with his car. And like he said, I'm just happy to be in the race. And every rookie's going to say that. And then what a, what a great qualifying run, just kind of a smooth qualifying run. Just to, just to kind of like, hey, uh, I did my job. I came to work. I did my job. And I got in the race. And that's Zach Beach. Uh, so those are our, our three cars in Row number 10, Pippa Man, uh, Felix Rosenbeck, and Zach Beach. Uh, Tyson? I think the really interesting thing uh, that, that we kind of see about the, the back couple rows is you look at the outside uh, of each row 9, 10, and 11, and you see team names that, you know, a couple of years ago you would not see exist in IndyCar. Dragon Speed, the, the IMSA, uh, you know, endurance uh, sports car team, with a with a car in the field here, Clawson Marshall Racing, to paint a picture of really how different this team, seeing a team like this, is to IndyCar. That's a USAC midget team that is now running an IndyCar operation for the Indy 500, and that's pretty pretty crazy. That you know we see Dragon Seed, Clawson Marshall Racing, Uncoast Racing all make the field over McLaren, a team with F1 experience, and I think that just shows you know that proper preparation can get uh, a small team into the field. Um, Pippa Mann, uh, last year we saw she did not have a lot of speed throughout most of the month of May, and, and that showed in qualifying she didn't make the race. And uh, one thing that I found really interesting is, you know, as you talked about, uh, Pippa Mann just really emotional about making the race. There was an interview that Matt Weaver uh, of Auto Week did with her, and and he said, you know, right at the beginning of the interview, you know, I talked to you here last year uh, after you didn't make the race and you were crying, and now, you know, I'm talking to you this year and you did make the race and you're crying. It's so the the same story that this race means so much to her, and it's great to see uh, such an amazing story like Pippa Man make it in without even having to go through uh, the, the trials of Bump Day. Uh, moving on, Felix Rosenqvist. I've been um, a little disappointed with him so far uh, this month, but, I mean, it's also not surprising. This is his first Indy 500. Um, he does have a little bit of experience at Indy. He, he ran a partial Indy light schedule a couple of years back before he went uh, back to Europe and then back to the U.S. now. And he, he ran the Freedom 100, and it didn't go all that well. He didn't show a lot of speed. I think he still uh, – Rosenqvist has a lot to learn when it comes to the ovals, so – I don't think we should expect too much from him, even though he is driving a Chip Ganassi racing car, and he does have Scott Dixon as a teammate. I think this is probably going to be a pretty uh, pretty lackluster Indy 500 for him if he can make it to the finish and, and possibly you know, you know, keep up his good points run that he's got going so far uh, and stay within the top uh, 15 to 20 throughout the day. That, that would be a good day for uh, Rosenfest. And I'm kind of gonna I'm gonna disagree a little bit on on your opinion of Zach Veach. I think this is a really disappointing qualifying performance for an Andretti Autosport driver to be starting this far down in the field. I mean Ryan Hunter Ray isn't starting that far up either. But uh, considering how much speed these Andretti Autosport cars have this month, you know Alexander Rossi's been really fast. Connor Daly has even shown quite a bit of speed, and he's not an oval guy at all. To see uh, Zach Beach this far down in the lineup, extremely disappointing. Matthew, Ro Chen, uh, Pippa Mand, uh, Felix, and Zach Veach. 
I think you look at Pippa Man, and we said it. I thought she was solidly in as soon as she made the attempt, and that I thought was going to take a spot away from someone and because of the way the weather was going to play out. But then the weather got a little bit better, and she got a little bit dangerous. Thankfully, you know, it ended at 5.50 and not at 6. Otherwise, I think she could have been bumped out. So a uh, personal victory for her. Now we'll see what she can do on race day because, remember, this team has run nothing more than, you know, 30-lap features, et cetera. So the question mark on that end is what can they do? And this is a, certainly a trial by fire for Clausen Marshall. Rosenquist, uh, you look at the results in any lights, uh, he was not too good on ovals, and I think this backs it up. But I also think it also shows uh, it's uh, not a coincidence because Ed Jones with Ganassi was equally uncompetitive. And he's near the back of the field, just like Jones was. Hopefully he has a much better uh, result than Jones did with the early exit last year. And I think Veach, uh, like Ty said, is fighting for his job. Um, I think, uh, yeah, he's got the sponsorship of that, but you have to have the talent. And uh, I'm starting to wonder if Zach Veach just does not have the talent uh, to merit a ride such as Andretti Autosport, especially when he is carrying the title sponsor for this race. Uh, he needs to be much higher up in the field than just 28. We're standing by for uh, Don Bartlett Hall of Track Smackdown, and when she joins us, we'll bring we'll bring her into the conversation. And uh, she's located down in Texas, and, and we do have her now. Hold on, just one moment. Hi, Don. How are you? Hi, guys. I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. So glad that you could take some time to to join us today. I just saw your your uh, awesome tweet uh, about uh, your interview with Simon Pettijohn. Uh Don Bartlett joins us actually for the first time on the balance here, and hopefully not the last time of that track track SmackDown. Don, real quickly, talk with us a little bit about track SmackDown. You got an awesome podcast, by the way. Go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, this is my fifteenth year doing it. I started out when I worked uh, up here in or, well in San Antonio at Sports Radio, and so we started the show down there on radio, and then I uh, eventually just moved to podcasting. And so my co-host Mike Haig and I, uh, yeah, we are starting our 15th year doing it, and uh, he's in San Antonio, I'm in Dallas, and uh, we try to cover IndyCar and NASCAR, well, NASCAR mostly in IndyCar, and he is a huge NHRA guy, and so this season he uh, finally got me to start doing the NHRA thing, and I, I don't know what the hell I've been waiting so long for to do it, but it's been <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> I tell you what, we got a, we got, we got some little small NHRA race here in town. I don't know if you've heard about it, but <laughs> here in Indianapolis, uh, but I tell you what, the NHRA and we'll be covering that as well is fantastic, and you know, a little connection there to IndyCar. Uh, Courtney Force is obviously the wife of Graham Rahal. So we we were just talking when you joined us. We 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 were uh, uh, in row. We're, we're, going, we're going through all 33 cars, so we're getting ready to start row number nine. But we we have uh, went through uh, row 10 and 11. Uh, what are your thoughts on the qualifying? And, and we're we're on rows 10 and 11, and we'll let you start off on row nine here in just a moment. But go right ahead. Well, uh, in fact, I got to pull it up here. <laughs> um, oh, uh, I, I got uh, it up if you need me. To, go ahead. Yeah, tell me, okay, really quick. Yeah, you, you, okay. Well, let's well, let's do a disclaimer. You guys are doing East Coast time. It's eight thirty in the morning here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, you're still waiting on your coffee. I understand. So, so here, here we got uh, we got Kyle Kaiser that that bumped out uh, Fernando Alonso. We got James Hinchcliffe, uh, Sage Karam, Pippa Man, uh, Felix Rosenklaus, and Zach Veach uh, are in Zach Veach is in. Uh, uh, 
28th in row number 10. Okay. Oh, my gosh. What a great, great thing to talk about then. Okay. So where do we start? Let's start with James Hinchcliffe first. Um, so incredibly, oh, I mean, just excited that he was able, that his team was able to work through the night and get that car back and ready. Scariest situation sitting there watching and waiting to see him get out of that car uh, after he wrecked. It's just, you know, after watching him have to do rehab and everything for as long as he did from his previous injury and uh, and come back, I, I think I think his is the comeback story of, of uh, qualifying and stuff, honestly. Um, and then a close second for me is, and may, I don't know, maybe we can swap it. Uh, Kyle Kaiser, I mean, that story right there, just, I mean, it's the David, you know, David and Goliath story. And then for them to pick yes. up a sponsor too, which I love. Um, and, and what, it's a local company there in Indianapolis, correct? That's, that's sponsoring him? I believe you're, you're correct. Dragon Speed. I think they are here in Indianapolis. Yeah. They are here in Indianapolis. Thanks, Matthew. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, and I loved it. I mean, the CEO <laughs> loves, you know, racing and just fell in love with the story and said, you know, I got to jump on this. And I'm like, that is, I mean, that's what it's all about right there. That's what, for me, honestly, I'm kind of hoping the same thing over on the NASCAR side that, you know, maybe people, maybe these companies, and, and I'm calling out the Fortune 500 companies, especially corporate America, they need to jump on the 43 car with Bubba Wallace. I mean, it's that right there, you know, his all-star thing, the passion, and I'm a little biased. I, I am uh, one of my contributors on my show. One of my best friends in the garage area happens to be Philippe Lopez, who's the director of competition for them. But I'm telling you guys. <laughs> and I think Bubba's from Texas too, isn't he? Isn't Bubba from Texas oh, no, no, down there? No, Bubba's from Alabama. Uh, he's from oh, Alabama, I knew he was from the South I, somewhere. I just couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> a name like Bubba, you, you know they come from the South. <laughs> but can, yeah, but can you imagine a NASCAR without the 43 Petty, you know, without a Richard Petty car, without the 43 car? And I'm telling you, it's extremely close to happening. And, you know, you just can't imagine, you know, it's it's like imagining IndyCar without a Penske or Ganassi or, you know, mm-hmm. Mario Andretti there, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah. it's pretty serious. So I like that story. Um, but, man, what else can you say? I mean, as, as a woman, she reps every year. She's actually my dark horse pick um, for, for this race just because I just feel like this has been the year of the woman. It's time. You know, it really is. It's time <laughs> that, we, that we have one. And in, in an indie, anything can happen. You guys know that. So uh, she's my yeah, dark horse true. pick. This is true. <laughs> so, well, Donna, let's let's get into row number nine, and then we'll go around the the table here. Uh, row number nine, we've got Ben Hadley, uh, we've got Jordan King, and Jack Harvey. I like Jack Harvey. Jack Harvey would be my dark horse horse pick of the race. But go right ahead, uh, Dawn. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would have to agree with you on that one uh, as well. I you know just these are the kind of guys that I like. I mean I know I I you know they, they don't get a lot of the attention and stuff, but every year there seems to always be a Cinderella story that, that comes out of the race itself too, not just qualifying, but out of the race itself. Because again, it's a long race, anything and everything happens, and um, so you know I always like to see people get to make a name for themselves at the biggest race of the year for for. 
We're joined by Don Bartlett of Track Smackdown. Tyson Lautenschlager calls us our, uh, from uh, uh, up in Canada, up in Toronto, from onpitroad.com. Uh, Matthew Embry uh, here in Indiana with me up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Tyson, you're up. What are your thoughts on row number nine? Well, when you look through uh, row nine, you see uh, basically this is the, the row of England. You got Jack Harvey, Jordan King, Ben Hanley. But the really interesting thing about this row, Ben Hanley, uh, this Dragon Speed team, I think if you go to the beginning of the month of May, this was my first team that I thought they have no chance. They are out right away. They have no chance of making the Indy 500. They have no oval experience. They're, they're mostly uh, a sports car team. And Ben Hanley also has no oval experience as a driver. You also look back to the beginning of the season uh, at St. Pete, and they were really, really slow. Uh, I did not think that this team was going to make it in the field, and this is a, a true uh, Cinderella story. I mean, to see uh, Ben Hanley not only make it in the field, but they really weren't even in danger of missing it. They didn't, uh, they didn't have to go through bump day. Big story to see them in the field. Jordan King also, uh, this is a one-off race for him. He's missing uh, the Grand Prix of Monaco and F2 to come uh, and run this race. And uh, I really didn't have a whole lot of faith that this team was going to make it either. Um, but Jordan King, we saw him a little bit in IndyCar last year driving for uh, Ed Carpenter on the road courses, and he was really hit and miss. Sometimes he would show some speed, uh, and then other times he would uh, be getting involved in a lot of accidents were causing accidents. I think a big key for uh, Jordan King tomorrow will be to stay out of trouble. Um, I think every year, uh, quite often, we see a one-off driver cause an issue that really makes people question, you know, why some of these one-off drivers are in the field. You look back at Jay Howard a couple of years ago with his incident with Scott Dixon, and a lot of people were like, why is this dude actually here? Um, I think if Jordan King can stay out of trouble, stay out of the way, uh, and have a good result, uh, maybe – he can he can uh, have a, a decent day, but this is one of the guys that I'm a little bit worried about, and I'm hoping he just doesn't cause an issue there. Uh, and Jack Harvey, um, obviously coming off his best career finish, uh, I kind of agree with Don. I think this could be a dark horse pick. I think uh, we could see Jack Harvey maybe not win the race, but uh, show up and, and maybe outrun a couple of his teammates in James Hinchcliffe and, uh, and Mark Erickson. Matthew, uh, row number nine, what are your thoughts, sir? Well, apparently these drivers are keeping an eye on my gritatology list because I gave Ben Hanley no hope <laughs> in Halloween to make in the field. Uh, I think uh, 2001, I think member Ray Everham saying something when he started the Dodge program that essentially it's like jumping out of a plane trying to make the parachute and make it work before you smash on the ground. And that's essentially what Elton Julian and company were doing uh, with this team. If they found a way to get in the field, kudos to them. Jordan King, uh, he's been mistake-prone. That was his issue last year. He qualified great, but uh, made his own mistakes. Hopefully that doesn't cause anyone trouble like uh, Ty suggested. And then Jack Harvey, I think uh, if he plays a strategy game like he did last year, he could be a contender. But I think the thing that uh, Meyer Shank needs to do is they need more oval experience. Uh, uh, they're great on road courses. We saw in the IndyCar Grand Prix at the third place finish, but I think uh, it's still a, a Greek situation uh, as far as, uh, you know, the ovals. And until they become a full-time member of the circuit, I think it's going to be still some time before they are as competitive on the ovals as, say, you know, James Hipscliff can be, and probably uh, the other entry with Marcus Erickson, and then if and when uh, Robert Wickens comes back as well. 
We're listening. You guys are listening to the Field of 33. If uh, some of our normal listeners are tuning in and saying, "Why are they only talking about IndyCar?" Well, we're not talking about IndyCar. It's not just IndyCar. It is the Indy 500, and this is our annual special. We do it every year on race weekend. It's called the Field of 33, where we break down all 33 cars, and we have awesome guests with us today. Our official IndyCar contributor, Matthew Embry, Tyson Lautenschlager from on, OnPitRoad.com, and uh, Don Bartlett right now from uh, Track SmackDown. I'm going to be joining us here in a little bit as Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com, and Tony Donahue from 1070 The Fan. Uh, obviously the local affiliate here in town that carries the race with IndyCar Radio. Guys, let's talk a little bit about how special the Indy 500 is and why it's so special. Obviously, I live here and I'm a little bit biased, so I can, I can give you a million reasons why the Indy 500 is so special. Yesterday, Carb Day, a tradition, awesome, awesome time. But I tell you what, you don't get the turn – NBC has literally – rolled out the red carpet for IndyCar. And, and you might notice we've got a little bit of a later start. And I've talked with Doug Bowles, and he says, well, the reason for that was because they wanted a little bit longer on the TV side to tell the story. And we want to tell the story. And the story of Indy 500 can be told by so many people in so many different ways. Like I said earlier, that's a story that I'm working on uh, with Speedway Digest, just the various different stories. There's a, there's a guy that I, that I have seen down there for years, and he has a coat of patches of teams and we've nicknamed him patches and he's been coming down there for years and, and now he's 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 confined to a wheelchair so his son pushes him around so it's generation after generation after generation don when you think about the indy 500 what do you think makes it so special and so why why is the indy 500 i mean it's the super bowl of indycar it's the Kentucky Derby. It's the World Series. That's easy to say. Those are all cliche, but there are reasons why that what makes it that way. Don, what do you think that makes the Indy 500 as special as it is? It's 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 the heart of racing. I mean, it's without the Indy 500, there's no NASCAR. There's no, uh, you, you know, I mean, it, it's it's pure America Americana. I mean, and so it, it's what's Fun off all these other you know racing series here in the United States and and I think it's just um, you, you know the track itself is so iconic the pagoda I mean everything about it is is iconic and you just when you, you and and I'm assuming and this is a bucket list I've never been actually I've never been yet and so well, we um, got to change that Don come on I know NASCAR's coming in July. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know what? it's funny you say that because I have said though I want to do a 500 before I do a brickyard. So um, I mean, it's just because I just want that experience of, sure. of saying, you know what? I've been here. This was the first time. Uh, but it's just everything about it. Um, all you know, you use the Kentucky Derby as an example, but I mean, it, it's a perfect example. It's you know, when you think of it, you think of everything that goes along with it. Uh, you know, from the fans dressing up to you know just the mint juleps, everything, and. You know, so Indy, it's kind of the same way. You think of the milk, you think of, uh, you know, the big old wreath of flowers that the, you know, winter gets. And then, of course, um, you know, later on down the line on the NASCAR side, you had Del Jarrett kissing the bricks. And now that's become something, too, you know. And so it's just, um, but but just everything about it. And I, I just think it's just one of those things, like you said, like a Super Bowl, like whatever. It's a part of American history. And that's the one thing 
for America that we can claim, I guess, when it comes to racing is um, it's it's just you know that's it's a piece of of history for for America, and that's and 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 this weekend, I mean, the weekend it falls on too couldn't be any any better. Right, absolutely, and that was that's been by design since it since it started. So there's so much history at the track, and and uh, one of the things that I tweeted out the first when when I first went out there at the beginning of the month, and I hadn't been out there you know all year long, and to go back out there and to go underneath the the tunnel, I still get goosebumps. And yesterday, Robin Miller, and if you, I'm sure most ever, all of us are familiar with Robin Miller, obviously been around for a long, long time. Uh, and he's a sports journalist and he used to race uh, midgets and he used to be an IndyCar uh, mechanic. But most of us know Robin from being with the Indianapolis Star, an IndyCar reporter for many, 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 many years. And so, and he has contributed so much to the sport as far as from the media and the journalism side. And, and yesterday they surprised me. So a lot of people don't know this, but maybe they do. Uh, but he, uh, he had cancer and he almost died. And, you know, I, I saw him this year and he's just, he's, he's a, a much smaller frame. He, you can tell that he's, he's went through that, but it is in remission, but they surprised him with, a, a, an award that they're going to give every year to a journalist there in the media center yesterday um, called the Robert, Robin Miller Award. Ironically, he was the first one to get it, and he joked when he got it. He says, they usually give you these things when you're dead. Uh, and, <laughs> and so, but, but to see him standing there by a, – a, standing around him was A.J. Foyt, Mario Andretti, um, uh, Johnny Rutherford, uh, Bobby, uh, Bobby uh, Unser. Uh, to see him stand by them and say, these are like my greatest friends. And as we know, as a journalist, sometimes you say things that aren't the greatest, but that is the history of Indy. And he said, you know, when these guys are gone, there is no more. And that, that is it. Mm-hmm. That is what makes Indy so special, you know, and to see AJ Foyt, uh, he, he's, he came up to the microphone and he said, yeah, I, I called uh, Robin here and I said, I guess you're not going to die. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> so they make jokes about that, but but those were were, were the days, and you know, uh, so and we we even have a club here in Indianapolis called the Old Timers Club. Tyson, go ahead. What makes Indianapolis 500, the Indy 500, so special? Well, I think it's just the event of it all. I mean, you mentioned you know this is the the Super Bowl of racing, the Kentucky Derby of racing. I think it's the Indy 500. It's just the Indy 500. And I saw, I saw someone tweet that earlier. It's just, it's an event in itself. I think if you ask non-racing fans, you know, you know, name one, one race in the world, they're going to name either the Indy 500 or the Daytona 500. These are the the two that people know. And it really is a true event. Um, this week at work, I've been like, oh, are you guys going to watch the Indy 500? And I'm trying to get people to watch the Indy 500. I'm trying to show people that this is a real event and that, that it is uh, something that people should see. So I think that's what it is. It's just the, the spectacle of it all that makes it so special. You know, Doug Bowles, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, probably one of the greatest presidents of any track. And I, maybe I, I'm a little biased, but I see him go into fans. I've seen him at the concert yesterday, just walking through fans. Everybody knows, everybody knows Doug Bowles like he's a driver. And and I I spent some time talking to Doug Bowles and just kind of walking with him through the track and working on this story. 
and people would just come up to him with photos and photo albums. Hey, this was when I was a kid and I came to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Hey, this was, a, and, and you know, the, if you, by the way, if you get to Indianapolis, go over to the museum. It's right on the property. It's uh, the Hall of Fame Museum. They've got an awesome exhibit on, on Mario Andretti. It, it'll, it'll give you goosebumps. But to, to be, Doug Bowles could very easily just say, well, I'm going to hang out in the suites. He always wears a suit and tie, even if it's 100 degrees outside. And but you know, just spending you know 15, 20 minutes walking with him through the track, and and him giving me some access that really a lot of people don't get. I mean, have you ever been to the top of Pagoda? I mean, have you ever been in a lot of different places? And everybody knows him. You know, everybody, everybody from the concession people, he he will talk to uh, the people emptying trash cans. He'll talk to Anybody and everybody he does, I bet you in the 20 minutes or so that I spent with him, I bet you um, he probably took 100 photographs. Everybody knows him. So, Matthew, what makes the Indianapolis 500 so special? You and I hang out there every year. So, I mean, I, I kind of know we, we, we know the track very well. But, Matthew, what are your thoughts about what makes the Indy 500 so special? Well, I think uh, it's very clear. I think it is a race that most kids growing up set a goal to win. Uh, it's the oldest 500-mile race uh, that is out there anywhere in the country and the world, and I still believe it's one of the toughest track there is. I mean, they just don't make two-and-a-half-mile rectangular flat ovals anymore. I mean, they tried that in Ontario. It didn't work out in California. And most times you see brand-new tracks being built. You see these high-banked uh, one-and-a-half-mile uh quad oval, you know, intermediate tracks that are taking over, you know, the sport as far as, you know, NASCAR and somewhat IndyCar until uh, the safety uh, got into question uh, with uh, obviously the crash that claimed Dan Weldon at uh, Vegas a few years ago. But uh, ultimately, I think the target is to win this race. And uh, still, even though a lot of people say, you know, that the drivers are not receiving the pay for this race that they should be getting, uh, I think there is still a great deal of accomplishment. If you can win this race, and you certainly are on there. I mean, they put your face on the trophy uh, for winning this race, and not many other places do that. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a special place. Uh, yesterday, um, during Carb Day, um, now Carb Day has a good mixture of people. Uh, I, I maybe would not take my young child there, but hey, it's, 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 it's the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But I saw as a, a, a little baby in a stroller uh, with earphones, protections on and stuff. But the T-shirt said, my first Indy 500. And I think that really just sums it up because it is generational. It is year after year after year. And uh, there's a guy that we're going to actually have on the show here uh, that I had an opportunity to talk to from New York. He was in the media center. He's written a book about basically called This Is, this is Indy. And he has some pictures of Dan Weldon when Dan Weldon was a kid and just some pictures that, that he's been taking ever since he's been coming out here to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And when I say every, people from all over the world, quite literally people from all over the world, when, when you walk through the parking lot at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you can probably see a license plate from every 50 state. You can see license plates from Canada. The, the camping lot is absolutely full. I bet you 
there's 200 RVs out there. So it is it is a special special time. All right, guys, let's get back on track. No pun intended. Row number eight, Matthew Least. Obviously, that's the rookie and Tony Kanan's uh, 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 teammate, and of course able to lean on him. And Santonio Ferrucci. I'm sorry, I have a bad name problem with names sometimes. Uh, row eight, and then Ryan Hunter Ray. Um, Again, we mentioned him earlier. So uh, you're up, Don. What are your thoughts on row number eight? Uh, well, uh, Mateus Lace, uh, such a great kid. I, I actually had the opportunity to talk to him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there, of course, with uh, AJ Floyd Enterprises, and um, you know, a little bias again. Got to got to pull for Team Texas. There, well, it's, you know, y'all call him Team Brazil with uh, when you follow IndyCar. Uh, I call it Team Texas because uh, AJ Floyd Racing, <laughs> and uh, and. What I love about Mateus is that he's smart enough to take everything that he's learning from his mentor and his idols and his teammate, Tony Kanaan, take it to heart and really try and absorb as much as he can. I think, uh, you know, I think it's it's smart. He's a smart racer. Uh, you know, he's an Indy Lights champion. Uh, and, and I think he's one of those kids here that's, you know, definitely got a future ahead of him. It's just for whatever reason, Floyd Racing right now. You know, they're having a, they're struggling a little bit with trying to find uh, more speed and stuff out of the cars. But uh, you know, uh, they seem to during the practice sessions be doing a little bit better and and finding their way. So um, I, I like Mateus and then uh, Ryan Hunter Ray. You know, so I, I think people just forget how damn good he really is <laughs> um <laughs> you know and, and especially when you see him back here in the back of the field sometimes you just you know he gets looked over a lot of times but the guy i mean he, 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 he you're not making a bad bet if you bet on him is what i'm trying to say i mean you know you just never can count out ryan hunter right he's done so much he's accomplished so much and he's won so much that you just you know he's one of those guys i'm telling you keep your eye on him we're keeping our eyes on him. All right, Tyson, row number eight, what are your thoughts? Well, I think you look at a, a guy like Mateus Lace, and he comes into this race with a little bit of momentum on his side, obviously getting his career best finish uh, in the GP, uh, finishing four, and he ran really well uh, pretty much all, that entire race, which was really nice to see because since he's come into IndyCar, I think he was kind of rushed into this a little bit, and since he's come into IndyCar, he's struggled a lot. And he is driving for a team uh, that AJ Foyt Racing. You know, we talked a little bit uh, earlier about Richard Petty Motorsports in uh, in in NASCAR, how much they are struggling, and and how much uh, you know Bubba Wallace really needs funding. But we're seeing sort of a similar situation, not necessarily on the funding side with AJ Foyt, but you know Richard Petty, AJ Foyt, those are two iconic names in racing as drivers, but as team owners, they have both uh, in they've both really not done all that well. And, and Richard Petty has struggled since the Petty Enterprises days. Uh, likewise with AJ Foyt, he's really the last several, several years, this team has not really been where they need to be. Uh, and, and that goes not just for Mateus Lace, that goes for Tony Kanaan, a, a veteran driver of this uh, series, has not done well since uh, arriving to this paddock. But what Lace does have uh, going for him, like I said, is that momentum. I think he is a very talented driver, but this is a really important year for him. Uh, I'm not banking on him doing a, a whole lot in the Indy 500. I hope he has a good run, but uh, this is an important year for Lace, and I hope he uh, he can really make the most of this year and, and continue to you know rack up good results like he did at the GP. 
Santino Ferrucci, I'm really not sure what to expect out of him. Uh, obviously, limited oval experience as well. You know, most of his experience uh, in auto racing comes on road courses in Europe. And transitioning over to IndyCar, this is a big change. But we saw um, with uh, Dale Coyne Racing uh, a couple years ago, Ed Jones do a really good job with his own limited um, oval experiences in, in the United States, finishing on the podium in the Indy 500 for Dale Coyne. So this team... Uh, does potentially have a, a good bit of speed and he's got a veteran teammate as well to to uh, lean on to in Sebastian Bourdais and then looking at Ryan Hunter Ray didn't qualify all that well but these Andretti Autosport cars uh, seem to have quite a bit of speed Ryan Hunter Ray showed uh, some speed in practice uh, in carb day um, so I'm not too worried about him probably making a, a charge up to the front I'm not sure uh, if this is a winning year for him I think uh, and we'll probably get into this later in the show. I think an Andretti Autosport car is going to win the Indy 500. I just don't think it's going to be him. Matthew, uh, what what are your thoughts on row number eight? Uh, the flight philosophy of you know running one half of the team in Texas and one half of the team in Indianapolis. I think that needs to be taken care of and fixed. Uh, it just you just can't transfer information. You really can't get anything going between the teams, and I think that really is hurting them. And that's why Lace is this far back. Uh, the name will fool you, Santino Ferrucci. Yes, this guy is from Connecticut. He's not from Italy. Uh, I think uh, he's probably the most outspoken driver I've seen. Obviously, he said a few things. I think it's gotten him in trouble. I think it needs to maybe just put the bit in his teeth. And I think if he can do that, I think he'll be competitive. I mean, this 19 car has had over the last couple of years, some decent runs. Uh, Ed Jones had a great run two years ago and Zachary Clayman had a great one last year. And then Ryan Hunter Ray, uh, I always kept saying, you know, between 2012 and 2016, every year we came to the speedway on race day, I thought he was the guy that had a chance to win. Um, I think that's kind of lessened a little bit. Now, granted, he did not get uh, the qualify in the perfect of conditions uh, uh, last weekend, and that's why he's this far back. But uh, he could be a contender, but I think uh, it's going to take a little bit of help, maybe from some strategy calls, et cetera, or some breaks with yellows uh, to get him on, into contention. But once he does get into contention, I think he will be a threat. Don, I don't know how much longer we got you for, so but maybe we can get one more row out of you. Uh, you know, this row number seven is really my favorite row as far as just people that got in the race and qualified, and because they all have a story. They all have a story of a past with Indianapolis, with Indianapolis 500. None, none greater than J.R. Hillebrand. Uh, everybody knows his story, a story that he did. He's probably a story that he doesn't want to remember, that most people don't remember, that you're on your way to win the Indianapolis 500. And in fact, most broadcasters are calling you to win the Indianapolis 500, and you crash uh, coming out of turn four and to the, to the straightaway. So I think that's a, the story that he wants to forget. But his comeback has been good, and he's qualified in a good, comfortable uh, 21st position. Charlie Kimball, another story there has a story there at the track, and everybody knows uh, stories with Oreo Servio. So uh, you, you got 20, uh, 21st, 20th, and 19th, Don, all in row seven, all of those with their own individual stories that people will actually remember with the Indianapolis 500. Oh, and, and, and absolutely. And the thing I talked this week with uh, Charlie Kimball, he was actually here in, in Texas uh, promoting the Indy 500. And uh, one of the things, and again, I'm a girl, so, you know, it's those feel-good stories that hit you in the field, <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> but yet, <laughs> kinda, you know, I, I mean, of, of course, everything he does with with diabetes and and the and mm-hmm. and that. But right. for me, the biggest story for him this season has nothing to do with racing and has to do with home life. And he has a you know a brand new baby. Sometimes mm-hmm. you know those change things. It changes perspective on things that uh, you know, and and sometimes it, it allows guys to to just I mean they they're still razor focused on racing. But things shift a little bit, and, you know, some people say sometimes it's for the good. Others say sometimes it may not be. But, you know, for me, sometimes it just brings a little different outlook on stuff, and and sometimes pressure is is taken down a little bit on you, and you just race because you you realize how fortunate you are with everything that you have in life at that time. And he was so excited talking to me about uh, having his daughter up there at the track and stuff with him and how – uh, when the cannon gets shot off there in the morning, uh, a race. Oh yeah. That he's, yeah, it's going to scare the crap out of her. But, um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> he just the thought of possibly being able to, uh, you know, he was excited about qualifying pictures and stuff that he got to take with his with his baby daughter and stuff that he'll get to share later. But um, I asked him, you know, I'm like, what about that? The possibility of, you know, if you win this, you know, having her there on the bricks and in victory lane and stuff with you. And he said, you know, he just couldn't think of a better story, a, a better way to cap off things for him than to have that and have that memory. But no matter what, he'll always have this memory of her being there with him, you know, I mean, brand new and him running the Indy 500. And so for me, um, being a mom and stuff and understanding that, I just, I, I really thought that that was something special. And, and I think sometimes that we forget that these guys and women, you know, they're, they're people. They have lives outside of the track, too. And, and, and I love, you know, just when, you know, all, all you hear about from drivers all the time is, you know, well, the speed of the car, my sponsor, this and this. I like to get drivers out of that mode and really hear from them as people and what's going on in their lives. And uh, he was just so passionate about how he talked about his daughter. And so that's what stands out for me when I think Charlie Kimball in this Indy 500. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. He is a very down-to-earth person, and, uh, you know, his his head could be in the clouds, and he could be arrogant, but he chooses not to be, and, and he's not the only one. And that's one of the other things that I like about IndyCar. The drivers are so very personable. James Hinscliffe is, is a prime example of that. And We were talking about Dan Weldon, and he's a prime example of that. And you would think Elio Castroneves wouldn't be that way, but he's the same way. Uh, Tyson, what, what, what are your thoughts on row number seven and, and just the, the, the thoughts about these three drivers? in their history with the Indianapolis 500. It really is. A, all of them have a very interesting history. And when you look at J.R. Hildebrand and Charlie Kimball in particular, um, the, the history between those driver, those two drivers uh, in particular in Indy are very interesting because, you know, you bring up the J.R. Hildebrand crash, but the other part of that is Charlie Kimball was kind of the one that caused it were, were made yeah, it happen. Valid point. He was the lap car that Hildebrand was trying to pass on that final lap that he probably shouldn't have been trying to pass. And Kimball washed up the track. That made J.R. Hildebrand wash up the track a bit. And the rest is history. Dan Weldon wins the race. Both of these guys have something that they want to they get back. Charlie Kimball has since uh, you know that, that was his first year at the Indy 500 and it was um, a really rough year. He didn't show a lot of speed but since then He's really improved um, on his oval experience. I used to be very um, uh, a very harsh critic of Charlie Kimball, but I think he's improved quite a bit as a driver. And I think one thing that Kimball has going for him this year um, that is sort of an advantage that most people might think is not 
is that all of his teammates did fail to qualify for the race. He's got a little bit more support uh, behind him. Carlin can put all of their effort into this one car now and uh, really look after him. I don't know if this is going to be a, uh, a really good performance by the team. I think you know that advantage could also hinder them, but it's it's going to be helpful to at least have all of that information that can be backed onto just one guy. And then also you take a look at Oriol Serbia, uh, who, you know, if you didn't know better, you'd think he'd actually been racing here every year since 1909 because he is here pretty much every year. Uh, but Serbia, a really great racer. Um, every year, you know, even if he is only coming out for just this one, maybe two, three races, uh, always in contention, always showing a lot of speed. Uh, and I think this year will be uh, no different. Don, I know you got to hop off here, and I appreciate the time that you've, you've taken to, to talk with us today. Uh, real quickly, uh, Don, I, I, I love listening to your podcast, but where can people find your work and your masterpieces? <laughs> well, well if, if, they hear, if they hear this week's preview show and hear us trying to do our lineup, uh, they, they definitely will think masterpiece, but um, a cluster, <laughs> you know what, is what I like to describe it, and TracksmackRadio.com is my website. It's a great place to go. And, of course, we're up on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, so all the major uh, – well, I don't want them all, but most of the major podcast networks, uh, it's up there as well. So, uh, And then you can find me on uh, Twitter. It's at TracksmackDawn and Facebook, just Don Bartlett Hall. Hey, I appreciate you jumping on, and I promise you you have an open invitation to come on anytime you want. Oh, guys, thank you so much for allowing me to come on, and uh, I'm super jealous of you guys and, you know, being able to be there. So uh, I'll be there with you in spirit. Sounds good. You have yourself a good uh, good race weekend, even though you're not going to be here. <laughs> thank you guys so much. All righty. Bye-bye. Matthew, you're up. That's uh, Don Bartlett. We appreciate her joining us, and we're standing by for Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com. Uh, but, Matthew, uh, uh, you're up there uh, on uh, row, row number – Seven. Well, the plan I think should be further up, and uh, we were there. Uh, he thought that if he had a better draw as far as a qualifying draw, he'd be, you know, possibly a top nine qualifier. And I think there is more in this car. And if you're looking for a Dryer and Reinbold car, I think that can get to the finish. I think Hildebrand's the guy to get you there. Kimball, uh, I used to put the tag on uh, Servian and on uh, Townsend Bell. I think the word oval specialist, uh, indie specialist, goes with Charlie Kimball. He, he is. Average at the level, I'd say, of a Zach Beach on the other circuits. But to Indy, he is 10 times better, and we've seen that throughout the years, that he has been a contender, and I would not be surprised um, if he is within play for another top-10 finish. And then Serbia, uh, if the things uh, go his way, uh, certainly he could be a challenger late, but uh, the question in my mind is, does he have the right engine though, with the Honda? I just don't think uh, Honda has made the necessary gains uh, to be a serious contender uh, for the race win uh, coming up uh, if and when we get this race in. All right, Tyson, let's move on up to roll number six. We've got the Iceman, Scott Dixon, and another Chip Canassi racer, Graham Ray Hall, and Tony Kanon. Uh, TK, fastest in practice yesterday, and I, and I, and I don't think that he was extremely happy with his qualifying spot. And I asked him on media day, I said, Tony, you've been around for so long. You're such a huge fan favorite. Nobody wants to see you go, but I'm just curious how many Indy 500s do you have left in you? He says, as long as my boss keeps giving me a car, I'm going to be here. So Tony Kanaan, AJ Foyt Racing, obviously uh, the, the senior uh, racer there with that team as well. 
Uh, go ahead, Tyson. Yeah, and before I kind of get into what I think Row Six uh, is would uh, will be like, I mean, can you imagine if Tony Kanon in the number fourteen for AJ Floyd Racing? If they won the Indy 500, what a story that would be. You know, taking on obviously finally won the Indy 500 a few years back, I believe 2013 for the first time. Mm-hmm. But to see mm-hmm. the 14 and A.J. Foyt name return to victory lane at Indianapolis, that would be huge. I wouldn't expect it to happen. Uh, I think this team, you know, they did show speed in Carb Day. They were the fastest. But I, I don't see them really, uh, you know, being up there all day. Uh the advantage they have, obviously, is having a Chevy uh, motor behind them. But I, I don't think this is going to be a uh, you know a breakout performance for AJ Foyt Racing. It'd be nice to see them run well, but I just don't have a lot of faith in this team. Or to be honest, Tony Kanon is a driver anymore. I think he is getting past his days of uh, of needing to be at the Indy 500 every year, of needing to be an Indy car every year. In my opinion, I like Tony Kanon. I think he's taking up a seat that could be. Uh, be made uh, more useful by some other drivers. Uh, Graham Rahal, Scott Dixon, Tony Kahn, this is a really experienced row. Uh, Graham Rahal obviously trying to uh, win the race for the first time, uh, much like Bobby Rahal did, uh, and Scott Dixon, uh, probably the best driver to ever race an IndyCar and still only one Indy 500 win to his name. I think that's going to stay the same this year, but, I mean, pretty much every year, you know, we talk about – you know, Scott Dixon being there at the end, uh, aside from the year that Jay Howard and, and him got together. Um, so I think Scott Dixon not going to win this year, but he'll be up there at the end of the day. Guys, this is the, you know, we talk about the fastest cars in the, in the, in the, in the pole. And, and, and we talk about, uh, we talk about Fernando Alonso being bumped, but guys, when you put this in perspective, just, just, just to look at it, this is the tightest grid in Indianapolis 500 history, just a little over a second between first and 33rd. If you, if you put that in perspective, it's hard to say that any of these guys aren't good enough to be in the Indianapolis 500. Matthew, row number six, what are your thoughts? Uh, the thing with Scott Dixon right now, I think, is not necessarily his driving skill, skills, but I mentioned it last year, is the fact that Ganassi continues to rely on inexperienced teammates to pair with him, hurting him. Uh, because the transfer information, I think, certainly is stunted by doing that. You are kind of on your own in that sense. And granted, he's a talented driver in his own right, but I'm starting to wonder, is that being more of a negative than a positive? Graham Rahal, I just think there's an apprehension at Indy that he just doesn't show at the other ovals. I mean, he's been competitive at Texas. He's been competitive at Fontana. If he could show the Texas Fontana Graham, I think he could be a contender. I just don't think he's going to have the focus necessary to be a challenger on race day. And TK, I think time's running out. So I think we'll see a very strong run from TK. Whether that's good enough to get him in contention or not, I don't know. But uh, I think that urgency to get the, the result, uh, certainly like Ty was mentioning, uh, is certainly getting there uh, for TK. You're listening to our annual special, a field of 33. We do this every year on race weekend. Uh, the Indianapolis, the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500 is on Sunday. So if you're one of our normal listeners and you're like, you're not talking about the NBA finals. You're not talking about the NHL. You're not talking NASCAR. You're, you're not. There's a reason for that because this is what we do every 
every year. And you know, our Super Bowl special and on our IndyCar special, we, we treat it more like a podcast format, so we don't take any break. And we have a lot of guests, and we just kind of go through it. So we're glad you're still listening to us, and, 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 and please make sure that you uh, download the podcast as well on any of the, the formats, whether it's uh, iTunes or or TuneIn or Stitcher or or uh, Shoutcast, wherever you can find your podcast, we're typically almost always there. If not, shoot shoot me a message and we'll get we'll get on there. Uh, joining us though is um, Matthew Embry of WSVT in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Tyson Lautenschlager calling us from Canada, the Toronto area, uh, and on pitroad.com. We're standing by for Kent Sterling of kentsterling.com. We just had Don Barlow on from Track Smackdown. And Tony Donahue uh, is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour from 1070 The Fan, the uh, local home affiliate, if you will, the home the home base of IndyCar radio. Uh, and I know millions of people will be listening to IndyCar, the Indy 500 race this week on the radio. And if you live in Indianapolis and you're not at the track, that's your only way to get to it. And believe it or not, a lot of people would rather listen to it on the radio. And Matthew, you know how awesome the radio broadcast is for the IndyCar. And I think I would, it's great that NBC's, you know, doing a great job as far as airing the race, but if you live here in Indianapolis and you've, or if you don't have never heard the um, uh, IndyCar radio network, well, you're, you're missing something special. Uh, so yeah, we're this, that's what that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So we're um, Tyson. We're on row number five. James Davison, Tomoko Soto, and Marcus Erickson. To come into Sada. Matthew always bails me out on that. <laughs> so, see, Tyson, your name's not the only name I mess up. So, anyway, it is what it is. Uh, Tyson, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, when you look at row five, uh, starting on the outside, James Davison, this is a guy, if you go back to last year, he started 33rd, shotgun on the field, got that last spot, bumped James Hinchcliffe out. And we kind of saw a little bit of um, last year, there was some animosity between James Davison and James Hinchcliffe. Apparently, something that I don't think anybody knew of beforehand, but apparently James Davison really does not like James Hinchcliffe and was really happy that of all people bumped out of the Indy 500, it was Hinchcliffe. Well, this year, Davison back in the field, uh, driving for Bellardi uh, and um, Jonathan Bird. And they've got a much better starting spot this time. I think they've actually got some pretty decent speed too. Uh, Davison, obviously not a um, not a, a name most IndyCar fans are familiar with. Uh, he did run a little bit uh, a, a couple of years back, but he's since uh, gone back to Australia, done some racing there, uh, and and we don't see him as often in IndyCar anymore. Though they, like I said, they have a lot of speed this weekend, and I think they could have a, a pretty good performance. Uh, not sure exactly what to expect out of Davison, but if they can. Uh, keep the car on track all day. This could be a really good result for uh, for Davison. I don't know um, it, what else this could mean for him. I think he is uh, probably wanting to get back into IndyCar on a, a more full-time basis. So this is a really important race for him. Takuma Sato, uh, also, you look at him. And uh, this has been a really strong start to the year so far. Obviously, we know the Indy 500 is a double points event. And it's really important for these full-time drivers that are up uh, near the running, uh, near the, the, the points uh, standings in the, the top, 
to have a good run. And Takuma Sato, a couple of years ago, uh, when he came out of the Indy 500 with the win, he started the season off a little bit rough, but ended up being like third in points after winning that race. Right now, uh, he's fifth in points, only about 50 points back from Joseph Newgarden. If Takuma Sato ends up having another strong performance, uh, could win this race. We can see Takuma Sato emerge as a legitimate championship contender. He's already got a win to his credit this year. Uh, so Takuma Sato uh, showing some speed here, and I think he is going to carry uh, the, the ship for, uh, for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing. This is a really uh, big race for Takuma Sato, and he needs to come out of here with a good performance if he wants to have a chance of becoming the first uh, Japanese champion in IndyCar history. And then you look at Marcus Erickson, his first Indy 500. Last year at this time, he was preparing for uh, the race at the Monaco GP with the, the Alfa Romeo F1 team. Now he's starting on the inside of row five at, uh, at the Indy 500. And he's kind of carrying the, the ship for his team. I think a lot of people were expecting James Hinchcliffe to be, uh, to be the driver showing speed. But Erickson has been kind of running better than him most of the month. He's he hasn't, uh, you know, made any uh, significant errors, hasn't crashed the car. I'd say so far a really successful month of May for Marcus Erickson, and this is a guy that I really didn't have a lot of stock in. I didn't expect a lot out of not just at Indy, but in IndyCar uh, in particular. So to see Erickson running well is uh, pretty refreshing, I'd say. Matthew, row number five, James Davidson, Soto, and Marcus Erickson. Well, Davison certainly is a threat. If you're looking for an upset pick, I know Don, Don Bartlett was looking for one. I think this would be the one I would say. I, he remember replaced Sebastian Bourdain was in contention until the big wreck a couple of years ago. Uh, certainly, uh, the coin car certainly has a competitive uh, nature to it. I think he could be a threat. Sato, unlike Rahal, I think if you're talking about the biggest threat for Rahal Letterman Lanigan, I think Takuzan's the one that has the best chance to get them the victory. Erickson, the lack of experience has me a little bit nerved at the start. Obviously, a three-wide start is something you don't deal with in uh, Europe, et cetera. But uh, if he can get through that and keep his nose clean, I think he could possibly get a top-half result. But I don't think he is really uh, a threat necessarily to win, as opposed to another rookie we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes. We are efforting to uh, reach uh, Kent Sterling of KentSterling.com, but we keep moving forward. We're moving into row number four, Elio Castaneda's. And, you know, I, I, I like Elio. He's so much fun to talk to. He's so much full of positive energy. And, you know, uh, I asked him, I said, so are you happy with your qualifying? Because, of course, I'm happy with my qualifying. I'm in Indy. You know, as we know, he's not, no longer a full-time IndyCar driver he uh he has a spot because of who he is and and his relationship with Pinsky. uh but uh he he uh he still races full-time uh but in the sports car world elio castanavis connor daly uh not a lot of i haven't seen a lot from him i mean he's just kind of been around so we'll see what happens with him i mean obviously a, a hometown boy uh from noblesville just north of indianapolis He's done well on the road courses. The Ovals has not been his best friend. This, uh, again, appears to be a, 
a one-race car sponsored by the U.S. Air Force. So we'll see what happens with Connor Daly. And then Marco Andretti. Marco, I saw him at Media Day, and I asked him, I was like, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about your grandfather being one of the greatest of all times. So obviously, there's an exhibit uh, dedicated to his grandfather in in the, in the museum. And then, of course, we know his dad. We know his namesake. I said, I know you get asked this all the time, but do you feel like that you want to be like them? What do you What do you think? And he's, and he's like, you know, I just want to be me. You know, my name's Marco. My name's not Mar- Mario or whatever. And he's like, I, I'm happy and blessed to have the namesake, but I want to earn what I have. And I've not earned the right to be in victory lane at Indianapolis 500. And he's like, I, I feel like we have a good car. I feel like we have a very good shot. Of course, you know, you heard Don talking earlier about being married and, you know, the, how that changes. He's now married and he's, he's, he's uh, not a bachelor. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's kind of calmed down and settled down. And maybe that is going to help him. I mean, he's very, very personable now. Uh, I, I could say there's been times where he wasn't the most pleasant person to talk to, uh, but that was not the case on media day. And I did not get the sense on that. So uh, Tyson, uh, Elio, Connor and Marco, what are your thoughts? Row number four. You know, I, I don't have a lot of hope for this row in the race. Um, I think Elio, first of all, did not have a very good um, Indy GP. Uh, it was very disappointing. Obviously, I think he wanted to have a better performance than he did, did not run well. And maybe the weather played a part in that, but it just it was not a good uh, race for him. And I'm, I'm also, you know, we talked about uh, earlier with Tony Kanon, like how many Indy 500s was he had left in him. You got to wonder about the same uh, with Elio Castroneves. You know, he's running full-time in IMSA, so is this really worth coming over? I know he loves running this race, and, you know, he wants to win it again. He wants to to, to get this, uh, to get his face on the trophy one more time. But is it realistic to really believe that Elio Castroneves running one, maybe two IndyCar races a year is going to be able to win the Indy 500 again. I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I really don't expect much out of him, and I'm not sure if we see him back next year, to be honest. Uh, Connor Daly uh, has shown more speed this month than I expected. Uh, I kind of alluded to it before that he's not an oval driver. This is not where he uh, is most comfortable, and this is where he gets to run his one IndyCar, one planned IndyCar race of the year. Um, so I would like to see Connor Daly run well. I don't think it's going to end up uh, being a strong race for him, but he, perhaps he could surprise me. Marco Andretti, I don't see the Andretti curse ending this year. I think he'll have a good run, probably run up towards the front for most of the day, but uh, I just don't see him being there at the end contending for the win. Matthew, what are your thoughts? Uh Lost my my spot here. Row number four, aren't we on? Yeah, row number four. Matthew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I know you got the reaction from Elio that you posted, but I think that that reaction was a bit forced. He's just been very frustrated with the lack of pace he's had compared to his three teammates. Uh, I just don't think uh, he could be able to make a run late. But beyond that, uh, if he's not, if he fades early in the going, I'd say that the chances of him winning are next to nothing. Connor's been a good story. I think the thing is, I think there's been less, uh, you know, controls and, you know, 
you know, nooses on the thing like there was last year with Coyne and Tom Burns. I think they're doing things more Connor's way, and I think it's showing. I think they're being a little more aggressive the way Connor likes to be aggressive, and it's worked. Whether that gets them all the way to victory, you know, on Sunday, I don't know, but we'll see how that plays out. And I think uh, time's running out for Marco to get the job done. I think this is the one track where he can do the job. But uh, like I said, uh, I'm not so sure the car he has uh, can get him all the way there, though. Talking with Tyson Lautenslager and Matthew Embry. Uh, Matthew's our official IndyCar contributor, Tyson from OnPitRoad.com. Um, have not been able to reach uh, Kent Sterling, but we we still going to be moving on. Uh, coming up here at, at the bottom of the hour, we got Tony Donahue of 1070 The Fan, local here in Indianapolis. Row number three, Alexander Rossi, Joseph Newgarden. Guys, keep your eye on Joseph Newgarden. He's with Penske now. He's a damn good driver. He's a has a very good attitude. He works hard. If anybody has earned the right to be in victory lane at Indianapolis, it is Joseph Newgarden. And he told me, he's like, I feel it in my bones. This is going to be a good race. Obviously, they're never going to say they're going to win, but he feels like he has the car that can get him there. And Joseph Newgarden is a fun driver to watch. And if you like to watch uh, drivers that, that are very aggressive and are very controlling on the track and know what they want and can go after it, Joseph Newgarden is your driver there, so I like him, and he's fun to talk to. He's a fun driver. Uh, and then Sebastian Bourdais, a, a good feel, a good story for him, uh, as we remember a couple years ago in the terrible wreck that he was in. And then, so he's had a good steady comeback. We'll see where he's at. But we might have a winner there in row three, Tyson. Yeah, the, the thing that I really like about Joseph Newgarden this year is he has a lot of confidence. And it's not overconfidence. He just knows what he has going with him. And he knows that this is going to be a good uh, good race for him. I, I really have no doubt that Joseph Newgarden is going to be up there contending. Obviously, they've shown a lot of speed, real power. Uh, his teammate winning this race last year uh, is a big confidence boost as well. So he knows that these Penske cars... Uh, have a good setup for for Indy, and with this being um, one of the most competitive fields in not only recent memory, but probably one of the most competitive fields in the history of the Indy 500, uh, if you win this race, you're going to have a lot of accolades going your way, and I think Joseph Newgarden is probably, I would say, top three contender to win this race. Alexander Rossi, same goes for him. I think he's got a lot of speed this weekend. Uh, Matt kind of talked about it earlier, the the Honda uh, unreliability of those engines, but I still think Rossi has a really, really strong uh, opportunity to win this race. He's won it before, uh, and and I think he wants to win it in a more, um, in a fashion that people would respect a little bit more. Obviously, when he won the 100th running of this race, it was on fuel conservation mode. I think he wants to win it on all-out speed this time. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, I think is probably going to have a strong run, uh, but I don't see him being up there at the end of the day either. Matthew, row number three. Rossi, I think of the drive, if you need any indication that Rossi is capable of winning this race, he came from 30 foot seconds to fourth last year, made several aggressive news. He has the aggression necessary to get there at the end. And if it comes down to a battle, that's certainly not a guy I'd like to take on late in the race. New Garden uh, baffles me. I, the, the same kind of New Garden we see on road courses just has not translated well to Indy. And I just don't think 
and it's going to translate well here. He was disappointing in the shootout uh, last Sunday. And uh, Bourdais, uh, I just don't think he has uh, the luck necessary to win this race. I think this guy's been snake bit more than anybody. I thought he had a car to pay for winning last year. Got caught up in someone else's uh, issue and crashed out late last year. And uh, he's had breakdowns and other things that's also plagued him. So uh, talk about unlucky drivers here at Indy. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais' name uh, certainly comes up in my book. Guys, we're moving on into row number two, defending champion of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, We've seen multiple winners. I don't remember the last time we've seen back-to-back winners. I'd have to check that. Matthew, you might know that stat. But Will Power. Okay, I thought it was Elio, but I wasn't for sure. I didn't want to step out there and say that. So Will Power, so it doesn't happen a lot, uh, but we'll, we'll see. I like Will Power, though. He's just He's just fun, and I had an opportunity to talk with him at, at Media Day, and and I was like, you know, I've seen a lot of drivers win the Indianapolis 500, and they're all excited, and they all celebrate in their own way. But I said, Will, I have never seen anybody celebrate that you have from your hysteria in the car uh, to uh, you got out and, and the reaction between you and your wife. And it, it was just, he's like, I said, what was that like? He's like, Honestly, it feels like it was yesterday, and the only thing in my mind, all I could hear was you won, and after that, it was just how quick could I get to my wife, and I could not hear anything else around me, and it was really neat for him to tell me, and he still grins ear to ear, and I was like, that, was that your greatest win of all time? And he's like, that's the greatest win I'll ever get. Even if I get another win at, at Indy 500, that's the greatest win I will ever get from here on out. The greatest win was the Indianapolis 500. So it was fun to hear him talk about last year's win. And then Colton Herta, I mean, come on. That's the story of the month. Colton Herta, we saw him from the Indy Lights. Uh, and he's, he's another pedigree name, the Herta name. Uh, obviously, his father works with uh, Andretti Racing. But Colton Herta, the real deal, the, the rookie out there that everybody needs needs to look out for. Uh, and, and then you've got Ed Jones as well. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, when you look at this row, uh, Will Power obviously winning last year. I, I don't think I see that happening again this year. I don't think we're going to see a back-to-back winner. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the, the, the way he celebrated last year, and it kind of brought me to thinking that, you know, whenever you actually talk to Will Power, He's probably the driest, one of the driest drivers in the in the paddock. You know, he doesn't show a lot of emotion, but when he wins a race, he treats every win like it's his first, and he celebrates and celebrates and celebrates and screams on the radio and and screams for respect on the radio, as we heard last year. Uh, I don't think Will Power is going to win this year, but it, that just got me thinking about that. Probably going to have a, a good solid run, um, but I, I'm not seeing a win out of him. Colton Herta, I feel like I kind of underestimated uh, at the beginning of the season. I didn't think we were going to see, um, you know, anything special out of Colton Herta, and then he um, he makes me look like an idiot by winning uh, a race already in his rookie year. So thanks for that. Uh, and then uh, moving on to Ed Jones, um, you mentioned before uh, also with Colton Herta that, you know, maybe he's the rookie we need to watch out for this year. But we go back to two years ago, and we thought the rookie we had to watch out for was Fernando Alonso. And we did. He led a lot of laps in that race. But then Ed Jones surprised everybody by uh, being the uh, 
the best finishing rookie that year, finishing third on the podium in his first ever Indy 500. So that that makes me think we maybe they're you know Santino Santino Ferrucci. We shouldn't underestimate him. You know he's obviously in the same car that that Ed Jones drove a few years ago to that podium position. Uh, you know Felix Rosenquist didn't show a lot of speed in qualifying. He has struggled quite a bit on ovals in his experience. But what we know about the Indy 500 is this can be a difficult race to predict. A, a lot of moving parts, a long race. Um, there, there could be some real surprises in this field. And, and I think Colton Hurd is going to be up there at the end of the day, but we shouldn't just discount the other uh, rookies just because we know that Colton Hurd is going to have a lot of speed. Matthew Rowe, number two, Will Power, or Colton Herta, or Ed Jones? Power, I think, certainly has a chance to repeat. Unfortunately, I think there's another Penske driver or two, I think, that have a better chance than he does, and we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, Colton Herta, in my mind, is uh, already wrapped up the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year Award, uh, regardless of where he finishes. He's just been a step above pretty much all the other newcomers of this month, and uh I mean, to qualify as well as he did when the conditions were at their worst on Saturday, I think really showed just how much talent this young guy has. And uh, Ed Jones, if he can refer back to uh, the 2017 Ed Jones as opposed to last year's Ed Jones, uh, he certainly has a chance to pull off an upset. Uh, Again, the thing is, though, is can an ECR team seal the deal? And that's something also we're going to talk about when we get to the front row here in just a sec as well. Which that goes exactly where we're at. And I think – we're having issues with people calling in. Um, so I'm, uh, we're still standing by for uh, uh, Tony Donahue. Um, he said that uh, he tried to call and it hung up. So we might be having some problems. That might have been the reason why we didn't get with, with and I, I can't check it out right now, so I don't know. Um, so... <laughs> We'll, we'll try to connect with them here in just a moment. But row number one, Spencer Piggott, Ed Carpenter. Thought he had the, the poll, but didn't. Simon Patajon had other plans. Tyson, what say you? This is, is probably, and I mean, it seems like the obvious answer, but this is probably the most competitive row in the field. I mean, you look at uh, Spencer Piggott. And last year, uh, I, if I remember correctly, I think I called him as my dark horse pick uh, on this uh, on this show last year to win um, the race last year, and obviously it didn't pan out. But Spencer Piggott, you know, he's really showing a good oval prowess. Obviously, he's in one of the best cars in the field for this race. He was uh, fastest on in Saturday's qualifying. I thought he was going to back it up and win the pole on Sunday. Didn't turn out that way, but he is still starting on the outside of row one. And you know, I, I really could see Spencer Piggott as a potential winner of this race. <laughs> becoming a first-time winner in the Indy 500 and the first a first-time winner in IndyCar would be his first win in the series as a whole. Ed Carpenter, this is the race that, that every year, it seems like it really breaks his heart. Uh, Ed Carpenter wants to win this race. He's a, a hometown boy from Indy. Uh, I, I think it's going to break his heart one more time, uh, at least as a driver. I think his um, all three of his cars, uh, him included, have a good shot. And Jones with a lot of speed. Spencer Piggott with a lot of speed. But I don't think Ed Carpenter, the driver, is going to get it done this year. And uh, kind of as, a, as Matt alluded to earlier, Simon Pagano, out of the Penske, uh, the Penske crew, probably has the best shot at winning. 
Um, obviously, he's got some momentum on his side, winning uh, the Indy GP, winning the pole, a ton of speed. And what we've seen out of Simon Pagano this month is exactly what Simon Pagano needed. He had gone almost a year and a half without winning, uh, which doing that driving for Team Penske is unacceptable. You can't do that and expect to have a ride the following year. I think Simon Pagano's job, honestly, may have been on the line uh, until he won the Indy GP, until he got the pole, and now he's back in the catbird seat. He can put himself back in championship contention with a win this weekend and, and also you know, put him back in, in contention to remain in this seat um, for years to come if he wins this weekend. I, I do think he um, filled at least one more year in this car by winning the Indy GP because I really do think his job was on the line. But Simon Pagano is, is really coming to show that, uh, that how important winning that first race in the month of May can be. Yeah, absolutely. We are having phone issues, so it doesn't look like we're going to be able to connect with Tony Donahue. I, I don't understand what's going on there, and that is something that I'm going to have to check out once we, we get off the air here. So I apologize, guys. We're going to have to reschedule those two, but we'll, we're going to keep uh, moving on. Matthew, uh, row number one. Well, I think right now the question in my mind is Spencer Piggott ready for, you know, the pressure that he's going to deal with uh, when this race gets going because this, he has never started on the front row of an IndyCar Series race to his career to date. And this is just a totally different game, and there's different demands when you are on the front line here as opposed to any other race on the schedule. Uh, Ed Carpenter, if you want to talk about the history standpoint, it's 100 years since the last time a Indianapolis native won this race. In fact, the only time an Indianapolis native won this race, and that was when uh, Howdy Wilcox won in 1919, the first race after World War One. Certainly can do it. Uh, the question is, can he be there at the end and show the aggressive necessary to get there? Pagano, in my mind, is the favorite. Uh, there's no question in my mind. I think the wake-up call and the things got to him say, hey, you know, instead of doing the other things, I need to focus on driving. And I think you saw that during the IndyCar Grand Prix. And I think you will see that uh, Rene Thomas, the only Frenchman uh, to win this race uh, back in 1914, I think that's going to change uh, when this race uh, does get the checkered flag, if and when it happens, uh, Tom. We don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or when, but uh, when it does, I think uh, Simon Pagano is going to be the man that's going to grab that uh, checkered flag first. Well, guys, um, our, our our schedule got thrown off because of our phone issues, so we got about 20 minutes uh, that we can just uh, talk about the Indy 500. Um, let's kind of talk about some of the storylines. Uh we we've, we we were talking earlier about uh, a game of Simon Says, if you will, uh, in the month of May. Uh, either one of you that know the answer to this, because I don't, I know, and because I guess I could Google it. But when was the last time we had a driver win from the pole position at the Indianapolis 500? I'm going to defer to Matt on that one. I, I don't think I I'm going to defer to Matt on that too. Matt, do you know? I think it was either Dixon in 08 or Elio in 2009, I believe. Don't quote me on okay. that, but I believe it was one of those two. Okay. So we'll, with we'll, that fact, the pole <laughs> has produced more wins than any other spot in the field. So take it with a grain of salt either way. Well, we'll, we'll see uh, 
see how it goes. Guys, let's talk a little bit about about the track. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway spans 253 acres. It also includes a golf course, which is a pretty awesome golf course. I've had an opportunity to play on that before. Here's the, the, the another fun fact about Indianapolis. Indianapolis goes from like the seventh or eighth largest city in the United States to like the fifth largest city in the United States during the month of May. True story. Um, what are Matthew? You uh, we're going next to Donald Davidson. We'll, we'll, we'll say uh, you know so much about that track and so much about the races. Uh, just uh, talk with us a little bit about the history of the track, some of the fun stories that you know. Um, now we're doing what's in radio is called filler. We're just filling for time, but hey, it's great, great conversation. So Matthew, uh, talk with us a little bit about some fun facts of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Well, the scary thing about this is keep in mind, if not for Tony Holman in 1945, November the 14th of 1945, we would have lost this whole thing back in 1945. Uh, the track was not put to any use like it was during World War One. was used as a military air depot and an air base. The track had absolutely come to pieces over the three years in which it had no work, no activity. Weeds were going up in the track. The grandstands on the verge of collapse. The pagoda was on the verge of collapse. I think most people thought, uh, including Donald Davidson will tell you that this place is going to become a housing development after the world war. This place was not going to be retained. And uh, thankfully Wilbur Shaw was unwilling to see this go down. He looked for a willing buyer that would take the burden and he found uh, Tony Holman, despite the fact, I think, uh, I remember Mary Fendrick Holman, the late Mary Fendrick Holman, said about the initial purchase, first thing she said, I didn't approve of it. <laughs> so that's what that tells you. A lot of people are saying, you know, you sure you want to buy this? You sure you want to put up with this? This could be nothing but pain. But I think uh, – one, I think his story, and I don't remember what his name was, but I think he said, Tony Holman said the reason why he bought the track was it was a good business proposition. A risky one, but an effective one. And uh, again, you can't say it enough. If not for Tony Holman, we would have lost this thing after 1945, and this thing would have been one of those forgotten jewels that uh, we wouldn't be talking about if not for Tony Holman. You know, uh, uh, Tyson, one of the things that uh, they say is that the, the track says publicly that that Churchill Downs, Yankee Stadium, the Rose Bowl, and the Roman Coliseum and Vatican City can all fit inside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That's probably a good thing that never happened because – we don't want to get into the stories of Snake Pit <laughs> and Carb Day. <laughs> They've tightened down on some rules. Used to be, uh, even just as much as a few years ago, they, they were pretty liberal about what you could do as long as you weren't hurting anybody. And uh, Let's just say women were not always ladylike. We'll put it that way. Well, that, that's, that's the nice way to say it. In turn three, the Snake Pit has now come back, and it's a huge uh, – Music event and and Tyson, you might know this, but it's a um, it's a they've got a DJ like it's like a nightclub inside of the track, and they've got big screens around uh, the the area there. You have to have a different ticket. You have to actually buy a separate ticket to get into the Snake Pit, uh, but it does seem to bring out a lot of the younger um, 
audience, if you will. They're, they're like, hey, uh, going to a music festival, going to an event, and there just happens to be a race going on in the background. We don't really care. And they have some of the biggest DJs in the world that come out here for this. Uh, Tyson, what are, what are your thoughts about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? What is your most memorable uh, 500 win? What's, what brings you to the Indianapolis 500 memory? I know you've never been here, and hopefully we can get you here soon. Uh, but uh, when, you, when you think and look at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, what comes to mind? Well, for me, the the, the the two wins that really, or maybe three wins that really come to mind, I mean, I think everybody will remember 2006 Sam Hornish Jr., that amazing last-second pass on, uh, on Marco Andretti to win um, one of the closest finishes in the history of the Indy 500 um, was amazing. Uh, I don't think anyone that's ever seen that will ever forget that. That was probably one of my first Indy 500s. Um, Buddy Rice in 2004, I think, was probably the first one I really remember. Uh, I also, I mean, 2011, another one that no one will ever forget. And for so many reasons, you know, at the time it was because, you know, you see uh, J.R. Hildebrand about to win as a rookie and then crash. And it's like, uh, wow, you're, you're actually watching that on the last corner, a driver lose his chance it slips away from his fingers and then Dan Weldon wins uh, a part-time driver at the time a really amazing story and then obviously we know what happened uh, in October of that year when Dan Weldon lost his life we got to basically watch his his last win uh, at the Indy 500 and nobody thought it would be his last win nobody knew that that would that what uh, October would happen um, so that's a really memorable one. Uh, Takuma Sato trying to dive underneath uh, Tony Kanaan in 2013, making a really last-ditch effort. And, and it shows what lengths drivers will go to to win the Indy 500. It was a, a dive-bomb move that you knew probably wasn't going to work, but if you didn't try it, you're not going to win. And uh, Takuma Sato went for it. He didn't win, but he went for it. And it, it is one of those moments that is in the highlight reels for years to come. Uh, so a lot of big moments always happen at the Indy 500 and it kind of, you know, makes you wonder what's going to be this year's highlight reel. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, speaking of highlight reels, uh, Matthew Ray Harmon won the inaugural 500 mile race in 1911 and took him six hours and 42 minutes. The car was named the more Marmon wasp. Um, do you know what his average speed on the track was? And it took him it took and remember it took him six hours and forty two minutes to win that race. Good thing we don't have that kind of window when we're talking about starting the race late late because of weather. Uh and the track was so much different then. But nineteen eleven, more than a hundred years ago, what do you think the average speed was to win the Indianapolis five hundred? Well, I know it was 74.602, but there was a reason for that. That was because the tires then were made out of cotton cord, and they were very prone to wear and catastrophic blowouts. So what Ray Haroon decided to do was save his tires by just running an average of 75 miles an hour, even though his Marvin with the single seat design was more streamlined. It could go faster. But in doing that, he was more conservative, and unlike some of the other cars, like, for instance, I think Ralph Malford needed 13 tire changes 
Ray Haroon only made six, and that ultimately allowed him to win the race by going that conservative route, even though that Marvin car could have gone much faster than the 74.6 that he averaged throughout the race. That's a very good answer. Uh, Tyson, if you ever want a trivia partner for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, you got to grab Matthew because uh, yeah, next to Donald Davis. <laughs> next to Donald Davison, man, I, I have never met anybody that knows so much ab- about the, the track. Uh, obviously, we know about the history and the tradition of, of drinking milk. Uh, Tyson, when you see, I mean, there's just something special about the drinking of milk. And Matthew, we'll, we'll go back to you in just a second to tell us the history about that. But it's like no other, other race. Tyson, what are your thoughts when you see a driver work so hard and so long to drink milk that one of the most exciting drinks they'll ever have in their life? Oh yeah, probably probably the uh, uh, for some people maybe the only time they ever drink milk uh, aside from in their coffee. And you know you <laughs> look at the the Indy 500 and it really there's so many traditions that go along with this race now. Um, and Don kind of brought it up a little bit earlier. You know the the drinking of the milk, the uh, the wreath of flowers that that gets put around your neck, your face being on the trophy, and and started by NASCAR in the in the 90s, Dale Jarrett kissing the bricks. And now IndyCar drivers have uh, taken the same uh, tradition and done that as well. Um, the pace car ride around the track at the end, I think, is one that that sometimes is forgotten too. But that's a, a big um, a big tradition as well. You know, the driver that wins the Indy 500, he goes around the track uh, and, and waves to all the fans, and you kind of get to, as a driver, take in that moment and relish it. You get to know that you just won one of the biggest races in the world, and and drive around that track and and you see hundreds of thousands of fans waving at you and you get to wave back that you just won the Indy 500. So there's a lot of traditions that go into this. And that's why this race is so important. Matthew, the tradition of drinking milk, it goes all the way back to 1936 with the winner of Lewis Meyer. Talk with us a little bit about the history of the drinking of milk at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway or the winning of the 500 Indianapolis 500, I should say. Yeah, there was a story, uh, Louis Meyer, his mother told him that to take the edge off of the heat after a hot day is to to drink buttermilk, and he drank buttermilk, obviously, after the race. That caught the attention of the Indiana dairy head, and they made sure, even though it was buttermilk, that uh, milk would be provided to the winner after every race, and that tradition started, and of course, uh, it was... uh, I don't know if intentionally or unintentionally um, butched with when uh, 93 came up and Emerson Vittipaldi initially said no to the milk and uh, instead promoted his own product and drank orange juice. And uh, That's right. Even he did drink day, orange juice. I, think I a totally lot of people, forgot about that. Lot, if you wonder why Emerson Vittipaldi is not held in high regard sometimes and is still booed or jeered when he comes to Indy, unfortunately that incident is part of the reason for that. Matthew, we'll stay with you, and then we'll go to you, Tyson. You know, we, we talk about all the fun times and all the great times of of, uh, of the Indianapolis 500, and IndyCar has seen its share of tragedies. And, you know, we talked about that win uh, that Dan Weldon got at the track we were talking earlier. That was going to be his last time at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But we have seen tragedy at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and there have been some really bad ones. And talk with us about 
tragedy at the track, Matthew. Where you know some of the work, and I don't like to say that in like let's I want to hear the worst, but let's let's tell the story of tragedy at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Matt. Obviously, the one that comes to mind mostly is uh, Bill Vukovic in 1955, uh, probably the most dominant driver of his generation in the 50s. I think if you thought there was a race then, you thought he had a chance to win, and that's the guy that probably could have maybe won five or six of these races. Unfortunately, while he was in contention in 55, going for three in a row, he was caught up in a multi-car crash. Car flipped end over end over the fence, burst into flames, and unfortunately, uh, Bill did not survive that accident. Now, and sadly, uh, you know, he's had two uh, generation, more generations that came here. Unfortunately, one of them, Bill Vukovic III, was killed in a super modified accident uh, in 1990. And, uh, but unfortunately, tragic is part of it. I mean, Bob Swikert, uh, the same year that Vukovic won the race, he won the, or was in, got killed, he won the race in 55. And then tragically, a month later, he was killed. Uh, obviously, the 64 crash that claimed Dave McDonald, Eddie Sachs, a very popular driver in Eddie Sachs, uh, obviously comes to mind. And then uh, probably the worst one I remember seeing uh, in an accident that uh, most people don't want to talk about, uh, obviously, the tragic crash uh, with Gordon Smiley in 1982, mm-hmm. uh, when he just mm-hmm. uh, car hooked, he went head on in the wall, and it just disintegrated. And you knew as soon as that happened, he was gone. I mean, it and that's probably the one crash that comes to mind the most as far as probably the worst ever that I could think of. Unfortunately, that's the one that comes to mind. Tyson, uh, we, we, we've seen IndyCar do a lot, not just at, at IMS, but that just seems to be the focus of our, our conversation. There's been a lot with IndyCar over the years as far as developing better safety, better, you know, I don't know if you watched the Freedom 100 yesterday, but terrible wreck yesterday uh, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the race. And he got up and walked out. And I mean, his head was on top of the of the safety wall. And a couple of years ago, a tragedy, we know about James Hinchcliffe. And like I said, I, he's a personal friend of mine, so I know him. No one really knew how bad he was really hurt. And they did a documentary on him not too long ago that kind of told that story about how he was basically impaled. And he was losing blood mm-hmm. rapidly. Nobody knew that till hours later, and he was at the hospital and in surgery, Nobody really knew how close he come to dying. People say that that was the closest to death at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that anybody has survived was the, the, the wreck with James Hinchcliffe. Now he's, he's making a comeback, and he, it's a great story. But those safety barriers and stuff are ever-evolving every year. What, what are your thoughts on how IndyCar is approaching safety the tra- and, and obviously nobody wants to see tragedy, but that is part of racing. Unfortunately, that is part of racing, Tyson. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just the safety barriers that are advancing. Obviously, IndyCar made that announcement yesterday that they are working with Red Bull and they have designed an aero screen, which a lot of people are opposed to, um, but not everyone is, uh, that will you know add more cockpit protection for the drivers. And, and that's not going to fix every accident, but this is, uh, you know, looking at the, the windscreen, this is potentially uh, um, uh, something that could have prevented Justin Wilson's death at Pocono a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have saved Dan Weldon necessarily in 2011 at Las Vegas. But the, this is the, the great thing about IndyCar is, you know, even though there are people that are going to be critics of this and everyone says, well, you know, racing is always going to be dangerous, but that doesn't mean we can't try to, 
you know, end some of that danger. We don't need to be out here killing drivers like it's the 1970s. Uh, so, you know, these, these enhanced uh, safety protections with the safer barriers, with this new error screen that, that will be implemented for uh, 2020, this is stuff that needs to happen. Uh, you know, we were talking about those tragic accidents, and, and when, when Tom, you asked that question, Gordon Smiley was immediately the first driver that I thought of, because if you've ever seen the, the footage of that crash, it is uh, jarring. It is something you probably don't ever want to see again. You don't want to ever go back and watch that video. It's it, it, almost disgusting to watch. It's not something that anyone should ever have to see. Um, and, and hopefully we never see anything like that again. And, and as you mentioned, James Hinchcliffe, uh, a couple of years ago, he was literally minutes away from death is what they say. He was losing so much blood um, from, from being impaled. Uh, so anytime that we can add any sort of safety enhancements that's going to make these drivers make the fans as well safer, obviously catch fences can can help uh, make fans safer. You know, we're trying to enhance the experience for everybody, whether it's a driver, a crew member, a fan, everybody should be able to go to, go to the racetrack and be safe at the end of the day. So yesterday, uh, guys, I was at Carb Day, and uh, uh, it was the end of the day, uh, and uh, I was – I bought an adult beverage, but I was standing in line, and I saw just a, a husband and wife having their own conversation. I really wasn't listening, and they're like, "I can't believe they're selling peanuts at, at the concession stand." And and I had to ask. I was like, oh, "You don't like peanuts?" And they're like, "Don't you know that peanuts is really bad luck at the track?" And I guess that's it's true. But I I came home and I googled it. I mean, race fans. Uh, uh, they consume the most things that are sold at concessions at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is about 24,000 pounds of fries. Now, everybody loves their fries at, uh, uh, at IMS. There is something special about that. Um, but that's basically an adult elephant, if you put that in, in, in perspective. Uh, maybe not nearly as chewy, but that's neither here nor there. But apparently peanuts really are bad luck, Matthew. Did you, did you know that? And I guess that uh, – from the 1940s all the way up to 2009, the concession stands would not sell peanuts at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That is a fun fact that I never knew anything about until yesterday. Did you know that, Matt? Did, had you heard that? I knew that for years, even dating back to when I watched the NASCAR Story Volume 2 when uh, Elmo Langley on there, obviously the late Elmo Langley, uh, the former uh, longtime pace car driver for NASCAR, said about Joe Weatherly, very superstitious person. If you threw a peanut, peanut into his car, he would not get in until it was cleaned out. <laughs> that is that is neat trivia. I never heard that. I I honestly was just standing there in line and I heard these people talking about it, and I had to ask him. I said, "What's wrong with peanuts?" And he told me he's like, "You never heard that." And I was like, "No." And one of the things that I'm glad they're bringing back, and Matthew, you could speak to this as far as the history of the track. One of the most popular things that were sold in the concessions in the in the in the 40s and 50s was the cheese sandwich, and that is being brought back this year. Uh, Matthew, tell us about the cheese sandwich at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Well, obviously, the cheese sandwich. You're thinking grilled cheese. Obviously, that dates back to obviously the county fairs and all that stuff. And I think that's got something to do with. Uh, you know, the fact that, unfortunately, we lost the Hoosier 100 after this year. Uh, in the, the fairgrounds do not want to run uh, auto races on the dirt track anymore. They want to just run uh, harness racing. So, unfortunately, we lost that. 
but uh, that's kind of that tradition that, uh, you know, Midwestern, you know, county fair, state fair tradition is having those grilled cheese sandwiches. And I think uh, they're trying to get that and trying to bring, you know, the grassroots fan uh, back to Indy. And I think, I don't know if it's going to be successful or not, but I think that's one way uh, maybe to say, you know, we're not going to, you know, the millionaires or the billionaires or the big money people and, you know, trying to get more of the common folk in. Maybe I think that's what they're trying to hit with uh, bringing back the grilled cheese. Well, if they want to do that, guys, they got to charge more less than $6 for a grilled cheese sandwich. I'm just saying, Tyson, am I wrong on that? Is there any grilled cheese sandwiches? Yeah. Tell me as they are. Are they, are they worth $6? That's my, that's, my <laughs> yeah. that's my first advice for someone coming to Indy for the first time. Unless you're in the media center, bring your own food. You will be spending an arm and a leg if you're not careful. Yeah. But like I said, bring your own food. They will allow it in as long as it's within the parameters. Just check the IMS website, and it will tell you the size of cooler you can bring in. As long as you're within that, they have no problem you're bringing your own stuff in. Yesterday I had two beers and a corn dog and spent $32, if that puts puts it in that's perspective. My, that's my that's my point. <laughs> and these weren't big beers either. And they took away Foster's, one of my favorite beers. They took away the the, the oil can of Foster's. Uh, guys, real quickly before really? we wrap it up, put a bo- before we put a bowl on it, we'll we'll start uh, with you, Tyson. I don't know if you ever listened to the IndyCar radio network. A good friend of mine, Jake Query, uh, is a turn announcer on there, and he was wanting to be on today, but he just has. Some other obligations going on today with the drivers' meetings and other things going on that he has with uh, NBC as well. But the IndyCar radio here in Indianapolis is the only way you're going to be able to catch the race live if you're not at the track. Tyson, I don't know if you have, but I prefer listening to IndyCar on the radio. What are your thoughts about the IndyCar radio broadcast as a whole, but especially the Indy 500 broadcast on the radio? Well, you know, interesting. I, I, I had to listen to some of uh, some of the IndyCar coverage uh, earlier this week on the radio because uh, IndyCar has not been broadcast very well in Canada this year. And with NBC getting the rights, uh, normally uh, IS, IMS puts uh, all their stuff on YouTube um, for for qualifying and practice. That hasn't happened this year. Uh, NBC has kind of taken that away and has put a paywall behind everything. So I've listened to a lot of stuff on. IndyCar radio, it's very good quality. Oh, I totally I really forgot about that. It. Yeah, it's been it's been a little rough for us up here uh, so far this month. Yeah, and that's a uh, mentioned IndyCar radio for an interesting reason, uh, Tom. This past Sunday, if you can recall, remember whose name was mentioned during the rain delay? Um, I was. At the track, so I really wasn't listening to it that much. Uh, go yeah, ahead and text uh, Yeah, my name. I asked a question about. Oh yeah! Price, oh yeah! Price yeah, price yeah, yeah, yeah! 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 I remember that. You're right. I did. I did. I texted you that because they had they had the IndyCar radio on a, uh, in the media center, and they were taking Twitter questions, and they took one of your questions. Yeah, I said I just heard heard your question. Yeah. So so Matthew, uh, I know you're a big fan of the IndyCar radio network. And IndyCar and the Indy 500. Let's wrap it up and put a bowl on it. Talk with us about the history and tradition of radio broadcasting of the Indianapolis 500. Well, it hurt me when, especially when uh, the station I work for got rid of the broadcast after the 2013 race. I think that was unfortunate uh, that that happened, but obviously not my call. But uh, you know, it's always been a tradition. I mean, with the blackout and 
In fact, I was my aunts and uncles. They're saying they're looking forward to listening to it uh, during the race uh, coming up tomorrow. Unfortunately, whether that happens or not, we don't know. But uh, ultimately, uh, it's a big tradition for the folks because with the TV blackout, unless you are willing to, you know, kind of stay away from media for seven hours and wait till seven o'clock to finally watch it, you will know who the winner is. That's the only way you can follow it is by listening to that broadcast and. Uh, give you credit they do a terrific job uh i remember mike ahern uh, saying they're much better Mm -hmm. now than they were then obviously and uh one way to do that if you want interested in the old broadcasts go to 1070 i know tony donahue probably would have said this i'll just do it for him anyway go to 1070thefan.com click their listen live starting at noon and they all have a segment from now until 6 a.m. tomorrow morning called indy 560 Mm -hmm. where they will replay famous races over Mm -hmm. an hour with analysis from Donald Davidson. So if you want to see how the broadcasts were then, my big suggestion, go to that website and check it out. Absolutely. And we're going to get this race in guys. I'm going to tell you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> well, well, first of all, the window that they could start this race, I believe is four thirty or five. If they have to push it back four hours, they're still, cause it looks like it clears up. Like I'm looking at, uh, it says, okay, so we have a 70% chance of showers tomorrow, but mostly in the morning until midday. And then showers are likely late in the afternoon with highs around 80. Okay. So there's that window. Um, Tyson, we'll, t- we'll, we'll get this and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But there's that window that I think we can get it in. And I don't think there's been a rain push off to Memorial Day uh, for years. So Doug Bowles is confident that we can get this this race in, and they they have a new uh, track drying formula that they're using. They're, it really speeds the the drying of the track. So as long as they can get that window, so it looks like in the morning we're going to have some rain, but you know that might interfere with some of the pre race festivities. But by the start of the race, it's supposed to clear out till late in the day. It's going to take them a couple of hours to get this race in. I think there's that window for it to happen, Tyson. Yeah, I've been monitoring uh, the weather a little bit. And in the the morning, as you said, it's looking quite wet. Once you get to about the noon hour, it starts to dry up. And then at about 1 or 2, you're seeing about a 50 to 55% chance of rain, which means, you know, 45% chance it doesn't rain. So, I mean, I think if we get past the the 2 o'clock hour and we don't have rain, then we're, we're in the clear because uh, once you get to three, four, five, um, there's not much rain in the forecast. I think we're going to get the race in tomorrow. I, I need us to get the race in tomorrow. I work on Monday. I work all week. <laughs> I, I can't watch the race. It's not a holiday up here. So, uh, yeah, I need us to get the race in on Sunday. Well, I took my vacation this week, so I was off all week. And then, of course, it is a holiday here in the United States on Monday. So I go to back to work on Tuesday. So I can survive till Monday, but I'm, I'm, I'm like you. All right, guys, let's get our picks, and then we got to call it a day. We'll start with you, Matthew. Who's your pick for the winner of the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500? I think Pagano is the guy to be at this point. I believe he is just too good at this place. And I think right now with his job on the line, like Tyson said, I think we will see a maximum performance from Pagano. He gets his first, and it will be victory number 19 for Roger Penske. Okay, I'm marking this down. It's official. Matthew, Simon, 
Okay, Tyson, who's your pick? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say uh, Alexander Rossi wins his second Indianapolis 500. Uh, this time he does it on outright speed, uh, not just on, uh, on, on uh, good pit strategy and, and saving fuel. Um, as Matthew said earlier in the show, last year we saw him make aggressive moves, and aggressiveness is what you need at the Indianapolis 500 in order to win. Alexander Rossi wins my dark horse. It sounds a little strange that he's a dark horse because he starts four. Uh, Ed Jones could be the dark horse to watch. Matthew, you didn't give us your dark horse. It's got to be Colton Horta. I mean, the rookie of the year is in his bag. He will take the risks. I think he is the advanced version of Alexander Rossi, and you saw it on qualifying weekend. And he's got nothing to lose. I, I would not be surprised if he has a contender late. I think if there's an Andretti, Harding, Steinbrenner car that has a chance to challenge, I think Colton Hurd is the guy to do it. Well, we've got a good mix going. And I, I relayed my uh, uh, dark horse. That was uh, Jack Harvey. That's who I'm going to go with my dark horse. Guys, I really, after talking with, and uh, you might say that, that uh, uh, confidence carries you a long way. It does. And we talked about how confident Joseph Newgarden is. And he has been nothing but positive at the track all month long. I've talked to him three or four times. Every time I talk to him, he thinks that this is the year for him to win the Indianapolis 500. I'm going to ride that confidence. Joseph Newgarden is your winner. Jack Harvey is your dark horse. So, guys, we all got a separate one. I'll get that all up on on, uh, social media. And so, uh, Matthew, uh, where can people find your work in Masterpieces, sir? M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y, and hopefully if the weather is cooperative, I can get my tickets early on Saturday morning. Uh, I will hopefully meet you somewhere, and we may get a few Facebook Live hits and et cetera. Hopefully we'll be out the rain. We'll get the race in tomorrow. And you're going to buy grilled cheese sandwiches, right? (laughs) I might just do one just to keep you happy. We'll see. Uh, We'll see. All right, Uh, Tyson, where can people find your work in Masterpiece, sir? As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Tyson Lott, L-A-U-T-23. Uh, follow OnPitRoad.com uh, on Twitter at OnPitRoad and go to OnPitRoad to check out what we're doing. Uh, and also, before uh, before you let me go, i got to say, uh, go Raptors tonight. We're, we're looking to get to yeah. the NBA Finals tonight. Uh, so, yeah, go Raptors. Hey, thanks for throwing that in there because we would have definitely been talking about them today had this been a normal show. So, yeah, and I totally forgot to bring that up. I, I, I had it in the back of my mind last night that I was going to ask you about that. So, yeah, fantastic. You guys have a great morning. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, buddy. All right, you guys have a good race weekend, and we'll talk with you soon. Sounds good. Same to you. Fun. Happy race day. Thanks, guys. Tyson Lonslager, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Tyson from uh, onpitroad.com calling us up from uh, Toronto. Thank you to Don Bartlett from Trek Smackdown. And we had some phone issues. We weren't able to connect with Kent Sterling and Tony Donahue, but we will make that up to you guys. This has been our field of 33. I am so happy that you guys have joined us. This has been a blast. Make sure you download the uh, the podcast uh, on, on any of the, the podcast formats, if you will. We'll take you out with the little IndyCar, Mary Hallman George throwback. Indianapolis Speedway is a sentimental place for all its accent on technical excellence and harsh reality. That sentiment was personified by the much admired owner of the track, Tony Holman, who died last autumn. There's been a lot of speculation and some mystery this month as to who would succeed Tony 
to utter the words, gentlemen, start your engines. New President Joe Cloutier said he would not be the one, but he would not reveal who it would be. Well, most appropriately, it is going to be the widow of Tony Hallman, Mary Hallman. There's Mrs. Hallman now, obviously moved by this moment. Lady, lady and gentlemen, start your engines. A sentimental moment at Indianapolis, Mrs. Mary Hallman. Another first for Indy. Not too many years ago, women were not even allowed in the pit. And now, we continue our same-day coverage of the Indianapolis 500. It's time now for the words that are so familiar here for years uttered by owner Tony Holman, now by his widow, Mrs. Mary Holman. Let's go down to trackside now. Chairman of the Board of Directors, Mrs. Tony Holman, uttering the words, used to be simply, gentlemen, start your engines. Now, of course, it's lady and gentlemen, start your engines. In honor of Janet Guthrie, the only woman in the field, the other, only woman who has ever raced here. Look at A.J. Boyd. A. That's Mrs. Mary Holman, the widow of Tony Holman. She'll be giving the command to start the engines for the first time since 1976. It'll be only two men because Janet Guthrie, the only woman ever to drive at Indianapolis, she drove in 77, 78, and 79, did not qualify this time. So it'll sound like it did in 76. Gentlemen, start your engines. And the usual response from the crowd of some 380,000. crowd gathered all through the night out on 16th Street until the gates open, and now they're all in place. A vast throng and stands all around its two-and-a-half-mile race course, others standing in the infield. At this moment, as you see, the road has been cleared of everyone except drivers and crews. It's time now. Time for Mrs. Mary Holman to give the most famous command in American sport. This is Tony Holman and the most famous sentence in American sport. Gentlemen, start your engines. And so they have, like the traditional words about to be spoken by Mrs. Mary Holman, the widow of the man who made the Speedway what it is today. Americans are not given to brevity, but there are a few short sentences that we first hear as children and react to with excitement all our lives. The brief statements are, play ball, they're off, and gentlemen, start your engine. The command about to be given by Mrs. Mary Holman, the widow of the man who made the Speedway what it is today. Gentlemen, start your engine. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.